Let's put our poo-poo heads together and make a good podcast. That's a better introduction than anything I could have ever come up with. But instead of poo-poo, Elaine, today we are talking about... Board games? It's board games. Okay, phew. <laughs> if it wasn't board games, then I don't know what it would be. If you didn't come here for board games... If you came here for the poo-poo, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Yeah, you just knocked on the wrong door and board games opened it. Dun-dun-dun. Welcome to the No Point Included podcast. We are talking about board games. We're talking about excellent board games. We're talking about some of the best board games that we played over the course of the last month. Wow, that's a strong intro, Afka. I think it is. But guess what? So we haven't mm-hmm. been on in a month. We When we revamped the podcast, when we mm-hmm. restructured the podcast, mm-hmm. we were like, we're going to record it more frequently. Mm-hmm. But we didn't. But how many board games are we talking about today? Um, 402. That's a large number. Give us an accurate number now. Nine? Nine. Nine it's board nine. games. It's, it's, it's a lot of board games. And what board games are we talking about? Well, first of all, we have a feature review of Targi, the two-player game that will make you hate the other player, plus <laughs> the expansion that makes you hate the other player even more. With water. With water. My, yeah. Yeah. Well, because, you know, you steal someone's water and you're in a desert. Oh. And that's like... Mm. Not good. What else are you going to eat? Sand. That's You can't survive on that. Oh. We're also talking about games that we've played. Yes, uh, which is a lot of them. There are quite a lot of them. Uh-huh. Surprisingly. We, when, a well, list has built up. Right. When we were thinking about this, we were like, oh, what games have we played? I know we've played a couple. And then we went through the list and it was like, boom, 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 boom. We've played a lot. And I'm sure there's some that we've missed out and are not mentioning. So uh. this, this is the highlights, effectively. Mm-hmm. Why don't you walk us through it? Today we will be talking about Tokyo Tsukiji Market, Edge of Darkness, Village Green, Tassimasi, High Rise, Gaslands, Terramara and Fort. And also, not, let's not forget to mention Ride the Rails, which is in Epka Grumps About a Game Session. Mm. You'll be pleased to know there's also Elaine Ungrumps about something too. Yeah, we we rebranded that entire section. Yeah. It's now called Ungrumps a Game, which mm. I think it is It may not brilliant. be a game. It it's may not be, always a game. It's game related, yeah. okay? Uh, we also have some other sections, including the No Pun Included News. The uh, Puzzle Deduction One and Done Escape Room segment. Fantastic name, if I do say so myself. And... Finally, the feature review as well, which is the feature review, which is the feature review. I think that's it's pretty is, clear what it is. Yeah, I think so. I think you've made it clear. Good. Okay, let's move on to the open included news. We have quite a lot of news. Nothing excited, okay. but there is a lot of it. Okay. So that's okay, a kind I'm, of exciting. I'm unbracing my excitement. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Taking your braces off yeah. for this excitement. Yeah. We did a video on 18xx Which was recently. the biggest video we have ever done. Mm. Uh, as we mentioned in the video, it took us a year of work to get it out. And it was positively received by everyone, pretty much, which was very enjoyable to watch because... Uh, people were saying, hey, this is a useful resource. And mm. we were like, great, that's kind of what we were hoping for. And if you ever wondered about the impenetrable barrier of what mm. an 18xx game is, this is this video is effectively, finally, your answer that gives you a whole broad spectrum vision of what this genre yeah, it is represents. It was less of a toe dip into 18xx and more diving into an entire swimming pool filled with custard. Yeah, pretty much. Head first. Head first. Mm-hmm. And uh, we emerged unscathed, which is... With 
custard and arrows, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? Custard, right? Are there any... Are there any other Open Included news? Yes. Uh, we have reached our Patreon goal, for what? which we are super grateful. I took my excitement braces off. <laughs> and, and now, now you're going to have to put them back on. I have to put them back on because this is very exciting news. <laughs> that is quite But it's, it's more exciting news for us. I think everyone who's excited and invested in the future of No Pun Included, for, for all these people, that is good news and big news and important news. And it's important news to us because we've pretty much reached a level that makes us sustainable as a two-person enterprise. And I think that's that's very comforting and reassuring. And uh, anything that goes up from here is just bettering this enterprise, this conglomerate, this, enterprise. this establishment of board games and board game reviews and adjacent things and adjacent things uh which is uh, where we jump into our recently published video of why we love or why we like combos i think we've titled mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. but in, in a little bit in disguise there's a mini review of a board game called fort which we're going to talk a little bit more about mm -hmm. later in the podcast and that was once again a very well received video because i think it was down to the excellent b-roll well, I, I think so too, but I, I, it, it was just, um, I don't know, if, if you're not, if you haven't seen the video, you should go watch it because it's pretty much a deep dive into deck building games and why deck building games are appealing and why combos in deck building games work or don't work and how we subvert this genre and Fort being an example of that. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about deck builders today, touching on Fort and Edge of Darkness. That's it. There's no more news. Have we no, run out of news? There's more news. There's more okay. news. We are still doing our streaming. So please, if you've not tuned in for that, we do it at 7pm on a Thursday, UK time. Uh, and we also do a D&D &D stream uh, with some lovely, lovely people every Saturday at 8pm UK time. We just had a fantastic session this Saturday. Uh -huh. Lots of character secrets were revealed. Uh -huh. Someone's face went entirely red. Not mine, <laughs> not yours. It might be ross <laughs> if if you've not seen our dnd stream you can watch all of it on youtube every every eight episodes so far and that's that's a lot of dungeons and dragons but it's a lot of wonderful people on that show mm. including myself i'm not wonderful but the rest are pretty great it's you you know you just said that to make me go no you're wonderful <laughs> no i didn't you're lovely no i didn't let's move on uh <laughs> it's you it's ross for more games please it's uh emma Johnson who's very wonderful and recently started getting into streaming mm -hmm. and has her own podcast called and is pointless a pointless parrot, parrot. yes uh, and also Paul Dean, formerly of Shut Up and Sit Down and mm -hmm. various writing and his own Patreon. There we go. I think, I think I've mentioned everyone. Uh -huh. That's D&D done. Is that all the news? No, there is one wow. last thing. We will be doing a live podcast for the UK Games Expo. Uh, virtual. Aha. Uh -huh. So uh, if people wanted to hear the next podcast episode, should they tune into that? They should. Will we have it later recorded as, I as hope a so. podcast episode. I hope so. The answer is yes. Unless if, something if the technology goes, works. Yeah, <laughs> unless something I don't want to make any promises. Wrong. But it's a live podcast for all intents and purposes. Yes. It's just that it's live from our living room. Yes. And it's obviously not going to be... Live from our living room. Thank you, Elaine. It's, it's going to be an hour. It's going to be one hour. So it's a more, Roughly. more condensed version of this podcast. Maybe back to what we were doing previously. And you'll be pleased to know that is the end of NPI News. Da -da 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 -da. That was my news sting. 
we have other stings. You don't need to actually <laughs> physically do this news thing. One. Can we let's roll the sting? We have played a lot of great games over the last month, and which of these great games is first? Tussie Mussy. I'm glad you mentioned Tussie Mussy because it is indeed. It's good. I wouldn't call Tassimasi great. And mm. this is, I, I want to start slightly on a negative curve to, mm -hmm. to just balance it all out because I'm going to be very nice going okay. forward, right? Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface this with Tassimasi isn't a great game, but it's a pretty good game and I mm. really enjoyed myself. So uh, much like all the games published by uh, Button Chai Games, it comes in a wallet, it consists of 18 cards which is already like, I'm sold, right? You know, I can, I can put a game in my pocket, don't even notice it's there, take it out, it's a game, I play it. Is it good? Yes. You're in the pub, you don't know what else to do, like in the future at some uh -huh. point. Uh -huh. I don't know what a pub is no, anymore. I, I know, I don't know where I'm going yeah. with this. Uh, it's like the, the real future. Like when we were kids, right, mm -hmm. we imagined the future as like spaceships and hoverboards or whatever. And now we imagine the future as people going to the pub. <laughs> yeah. It's a very different vision of the future. I'd say so. Uh, and in this future, hopefully we will, we will have use for games that put in a wallet. Mm -hmm. Right now... It's fine. Mm -hmm. We're mostly at home anyway. We don't care if games are just sitting on our floor because... We don't care if they're like 18 kilos. Yeah, whatever. doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter, right? But anyway, in this in this nice future, you will find use for Tassimati because, again, it's only 18 cards. It's playable almost anywhere and it's pretty fun. So what do you do in Tassimati? You collect sets of flowers Aww. and set collection is really just about my least favorite genre of, of board game mm. mechanisms where basically it says, well, cards probably have suits or something like that. And then at the, at the end of the game, if you collect certain sets, like all, all different or all the same, you know, you'll score X number of points. So I don't love that about games. And Tassimasi does have that. Mm. And you're collecting colors of flowers normally but right, types of flowers yeah, yeah but the scoring conditions unlike in other set collection games are not preset from sure. the get-go uh the flowers you take over the course of the game are the things that are going to say what you score points for yes. so you always have to be kind of aware uh you know what cards you want to get and what cards you want to give away and this is where we come to the key moment of the game because you never really have full control over what card is going to end up uh, in your set. And your set is only four cards. Mm. It's that small. You do it three times, but it's only four cards. Here's the trick. Each turn, you draw two cards. You look at both of them and you put one face up and one face down on the table. And then your opponent chooses one of them. And that's it. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's the game. And then you get to keep one in your play area and you keep it face up or face down, whichever way up, whichever yeah. way it was orientated. So you'd end up with sort of two distinct rows of face up or face down cards. Yeah. Um, and there's different scoring conditions. And, and there's different scoring conditions based on whether the cards are face up or face down, which I, I really liked it. I thought it was a sweet little game. And I liked quite how um, it felt quite thematic because you're passing flowers mm -hmm. and each flower, the, the sort of concept of the game is this Victorian language of flowers mm -hmm. of, you know, uh, a rose means I love you or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we ended up with 
a set of cards, both of us, mm. that worked out. Like mine said things like, I love you, I will never forget you, blah, 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 mm. blah. And yours were like, we're friends. And that's fine. You're, you're nothing but a friend to me or whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yours all worked out and mine all worked out. Mine was really callous. Yours and... was so negative. Yeah. Like the card, the, the bunch of flowers that I had given you mm. was not the bunch of flowers that you had given no. me. And, no. I, and I, I found that funny. moment very funny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's also a lot of nice moments because, um, so the trick is that why is one card face up, face down? Because when, you know, your opponent is choosing, they can't tell what one card is. Yes. And and sometimes you'll have moments like, why did you make this card face up uh -huh. is when it, really it is clearly good? <laughs> really good for me, right? Yeah. What is hiding underneath? Yeah. Is and the is one it better for you? Even yeah. better? Or are you bluffing? Or, there is there is a, an amount of bluffing in yeah. it. Yeah. And there's also fun. this beautiful moment where, so if you take the face down card, even though you keep it in your set face down, uh, you can look at it. But if you pass on the face down card, mm. you will never know what it is until we actually reveal the scoring. Yes. So when you're trying to calculate your opponent's scores, you're like, I wish I'd taken that face down card because I would know what it is. And now I have no idea. Uh -huh. And I know less about their strategy. So there's, there's obviously an advantage in taking the face up card because you know exactly what you're getting. Mm. But if you take the face up card, you will never know what the face down card was until scoring comes. And... And, and and that's I I like that sort of subtle balancing. Mm. It it felt very smart, and I really enjoyed Tassimasi. I wouldn't say it's the best game in the world, but it doesn't have to be because it's eighteen cards and it fits in your pocket and you can play it anywhere. And you know what? You'll have a decent amount of fun mm. anytime you play it. And that's what board games are all about, Elaine. A decent amount of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Can, can they get more fun? I don't know, Efka. Let's talk about another card game that we played, Village Green. Village Green. Uh, which is about flowers as well and trees and making a nice village green in your village better than everyone else's. Well, the theming very much speaks to me of, of the many places I've seen in my travels through England <laughs> in Buckinghamshire. You used to work at a place called Gerrard's Cross. I did. And and I think this is what this this card game is trying to emulate. It's trying to emulate Jared's Cross, isn't it? <laughs> it's trying to emulate those little English towns and villages where they have competitions for the best flowers, mm -hmm. which is such a sort of weird twee thing to thing. have. It is yeah. really twee. Yeah. Um, but you know it's it's quite it's quite nice. Um, but people get really competitive over it. That's the funny thing. It's like the when you have the vegetable competitions, the vegetable and fruit competitions, mm. and people get super competitive about how big their aubergine is or whatever. Mm. Right? That was rude, Elaine. I heard that as it came out of my mouth. Before we step into this aubergine minefield any further, I should mention that uh, Village Green was sent as a review copy from yes. Osprey Games, and also that uh, Pear Sylvester, the designer of the game, is a pleasant acquaintance. Wouldn't, wouldn't call it as far as friends, but it is a pleasant acquaintance. Yeah. You'll be pleased to know this game contains no aubergines, but it does contain trees and ponds and flowers, and you're kind of trying to do a, a similar thing in, as, as in Tassimus, you're collecting sets of different trees or flowers, or but you're, you're putting them into a grid, Yes. Um, and then the scoring is done via rows and columns mm -hmm. and, and how many, for example, trees you have in that row or column. And the scoring is done via other scoring cards that you have and that you can choose and you can replace and, and they go into your grid too. 
scoring is one of the very peculiar parts in this mm. game because you effectively have in the game, and it's arguable whether it's a three by three grid, three by four grid, or a four by four grid, right? Uh, because okay. you place the location cards, the scenic cards, the the, the pretty village cards, yeah. right, into a three by three grid, and theoretically, once you place all nine of those cards, the game is over, right? Yeah, or the game could be over without you even having placed everything yes. in the grid. Yes, exactly, right? But alternatively, above this three by three grid... And to you, the side. And to the side yeah. as well. Well, at the start of the game, you already have free scoring conditions, right. so you know what's going on. Right. And to the side, you don't have scoring conditions, but you can have scoring mm. conditions, right? And so then, and each of those scoring conditions corresponds to either the column... Or the row right. that it is in front of, right. right? So when you start the game, you already have some vision. Like each of these columns will score me for something. The leftmost will score me for purple cards or the this type of flower. Yeah, or yeah. The amount of trees. Or yeah, the, the middle one will score me for all different types mm. of trees or whatever, right? So you have a lot of different conditions, and not only that, you can replace these scoring conditions as you go along. Mm. But each of these is a turn, mm. whereas. Again, there's a potential that the game ends in nine turns. Or all players don't just go, okay, I'm just going to fulfill this column and that's what I'm going to score for, right? Then it could go longer, mm. right? And there's a nice sort of unwritten tension of like, how long does this game last? Mm. And that's part of the mystery of the game that you have to work out. And that's the aspect of Village Green I really enjoyed. Yeah, because the other player could go, well... I'm just going to rush through this mm. and not get that many scoring cards yes. that, that actually score me points, but they'll still score me points than my opponent who's not going to be scoring much at all because they're trying to work towards getting a higher score. Mm. So they're taking longer. So here's here's where uh, Village Green let me down a little bit. Oh. Uh, I, yeah, I know. So, and I say this as someone who has very high standards for these little box form card games mm. because there are already so many good right, ones. Sure. Especially ones like Arboretum, right? And the reason I mention Arboretum because th these are not quite the same type of game, right? But the reason I, I bring Arboretum up is the thematic peculiarity. Mm. And that's because Village Greens, I think it's meant to be mocking a little bit in in, mm -hmm. in, a, in, a, uh, in yeah. a nice way right like sure. you know it's it even says it's pretty gardens <laughs> yeah. and petty rivalries yeah. right and i didn't feel the sense for petty rivalries sure. right it felt more like i am visiting a village with trees and there's flowers mm -hmm. and i'm looking at the artwork right whereas arboretum is sort of the opposite where mm. the theming is it's just pretty trees but actually, the game is mostly just petty rivalries. Right. Right? And I felt like if you swap the themes of these two games together, they would both be finally in the right place, right? Mm. And whilst I, again, uh, Village Green is a pretty decent card game, pretty yeah. good card game. Mm -hmm. It just, I don't think it's as good as, as some... Well, Arboretum, I only pick Arboretum because it's a set collection game About trees. themed around trees, <laughs> right? But there are a lot of little card games yeah. out there and a lot have been released recently. And I don't think it just quite stands up to that standard okay. of, of this little set collection card game, you know, puzzle. And and where it's let down is by theme where it doesn't quite fit it. 
but also some minor production issues that felt like yeah the yellow is very hard so there are three different colors of flowers there's blue red and yellow yeah. and the blue and the red and there's different suits within those colors yes uh, so there are different types of flowers and the blue and the red were very distinct you could tell on the table just mm-hmm. looking at it what that flower was what the color of it was great the yeah. yellow was so difficult to distinguish between the three i think it was three different flowers yeah within that that color and we both were like oh i thought this card was this yeah and we'd gone to take it and gone this doesn't work at all it, it might seem like a petty moment mm. in a game about petty rivalries right yeah. but it actually impacted gameplay. Mm, uh, slowed it down. Yeah, it slowed it down, and we we made mistakes, and we're like, I wouldn't have done this. This is this mm. is a silly move. And also, uh, what it does is that you end up knowing what the other person is is going to take or thinking about taking because they're going, yeah. well, what's this? Like, I need yeah. to pick this card up and have a look at it yeah. properly, right? And and actually, the reason the reason that it's hard to read is not because there's anything wrong with the iconography. Mm. Like, it, they worked it out for the other cards because uh, the red border and the purple border around the red and the purple yes. cards is faint yes. whereas in the yellows it's bright yes right and then suddenly it's just color screen and it's and you on can't white it. yeah so and it's it, on it white, kind yeah. of just merges all in into one the rule book wasn't very good no either. yeah and it was hard to uh figure out how certain scoring conditions worked mm. based on the ambiguity of the language mm. so it felt like um this is a pretty good game that was slightly let down by mm. the uh, slightly sloppy production and it feels like a shame what I really liked about it, though, was the way that the cards interact with each other. Mm-hmm. So you can't place a card next to another card if it doesn't either match the suit or the colour yeah. of flowers. Um, and I, I thought that was neat because sometimes you backed yourself into a corner and ended up with a space that you couldn't really put anything in. It was painful. <laughs> I it know. was really, really painful. The more and more flowers you put into your set the more you're like i ruined myself haven't i uh-huh. and that's a nice feeling in games uh-huh. it's a feeling i really enjoy and because it's so constricted there's only nine spaces you know every, every card you put you, really you put in it really matters <laughs> you need to like no is this going to be the card and that of course you know slows the game a little bit down because there's a lot of i don't know what i want to do <laughs> and in a two-player environment that works really well what we got next Let's talk about a game that you enjoyed more than I did. Is is it time for a Tokyo Tsukiji market? It's time. Oh, let's get fishy. I, I want to preface this game with a little discussion about Container. So Tokyo Tsukiji Market is a game we purchased ourselves. It's not a review copy. So it's Tassimasi. I should clarify that. But I was quite excited about trying it out because I, from my understanding of my initial glance of the rules, yeah. was that it's a different version of a game called Container. Mm. And you and me hated Container. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. And I should preface my history with Container. I played Container twice. Mm. And the reason I'm mentioning it is because the first time when I played it, I really misunderstood the game. I didn't misunderstand the rules. Yeah. I just misunderstood the game. I was uh, lucky enough to have been taught it by Quentin Smith from Shut Up and Sit Down and then ended up being the laughing stock of the table as I stubbornly bullied myself into a strategy that didn't work <laughs> and ended up last. And uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a good look on me. Uh, it was fun, though. I, I mean, yeah. And you won that game. So you were mm. like, hey, I had a good time, right? 
And then we played it a second time. And and you trounced everyone. And I, when I figured the game yeah. out, I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll play this game. Uh, and I trounced everyone. I one-handedly and I really didn't like it. Uh, and the reason I didn't like it, because... Uh, so I, this applies both to Tokyo Tsukiji Market and Container. Hmm. Uh, after I explain this, we're going to move on to just... Tokyo Tsukiji Market, right? Uh, both of these games have an economic system, right? So what you're doing is you're effectively producing goods, but those goods are goods you cannot have. Yes. You have to put them up for sale. Uh, and then when your opponents buy them, uh, they can later make deliveries or whatever. So you, But you want to have goods because goods are scoring conditions, mm. right? So you're in this weird bind where you produce a good, you can't have it, you have to sell it, and then hopefully you reacquire it back or whatever, right? It's it's weird. But the reason that container is weirder and sort of doesn't work for me is because everyone values goods differently based on a secret card dealt out at the start of the game. Yes. Right? And... And you're playing this really complicated economic puzzle. No, it's not okay. It's not complicated. It's complex, right? But at the end of the game, you just kind of have to hedge your bets. Mm. And then if you hedge your bet right, you win. Mm. And it feels like okay, you still have to play well. But there's one decision that is more important than any other decision in that game, and it sort of comes at the end, and it feels lackluster. Yeah, the fact that your goods are of different values than other people's goods. Yeah. I don't think it adds anything to the game for me. No, well, I guess it adds a dynamic and uncertain environment, right? But I don't think I need that in this quite complex puzzle that I'm already doing. Yeah, and it, it feels like a ha-ha moment yeah. that isn't yeah. really all that ha-ha. It's just like, oh, I bet wrong, okay. And, and sure, there's some educated guesswork that you can mm. make based on what people are doing, but there's enough secret information in Container that makes it a certain kind of unpleasant economic simulator. However, what happens in Tokyo Tsukiji Market is the complete opposite, where all the information is completely open. And I could even make an argument and say that maybe sometimes to the detriment of the game, because it's almost the polar opposite. Whereas in Container, at least the one saving grace of Container for me, is that you have... No idea what people's score is, right? Yeah, I, I hate that. It, that I hate. Do you really? Yeah, I do. But like, yeah. it, it makes them, you know, it makes people uncertain, and it, you know, like you're invested in the game all the way till the end, right? Uh -huh. Whereas uh -huh. in Tokyo Tsukiji Market, people were miserable because some people uh, were doing much better than oh, others. Oh yeah, you can tell, right? Like, it's it's so plain to see. If yeah. someone is doing poorly or someone is doing really well. And I could tell that some people were just like, well, I know my score is going to be like 2,000 and the winning score is going to be 6,000. Mm. What am I even doing in this game, right? Mm. And I suspect that smooths out and edges itself out if you're feeling invested to learn the puzzle a little bit more. But So here's the primary difference of Tokyo Tsukiji Market to Container. In Tokyo Tsukiji Market, you sell fish, yes. right? Which means you have boats, uh, and those boats go and catch fish, and you have licenses for different kinds of fish. In each game, you will have a different set of fish. And each of these fish come with their own complicated sets of rules, right? Mm. But you start with the basic, like mackerel, and then you can have squid, or octopus, or salmon, or tuna, or uh -huh. spider crab, right? Uh -huh. and, and, <laughs> and all of these little little 
fish rules that and they're varying, come with the fishes. Varying different values. Yes, exactly. But basically, to summarize this for a brief podcast overview, uh, you go out and you fish different kinds of fish. Then you bring those fish into your harbor, but you can't have then, the fish. Then you price up those fish for other people to buy. And hopefully you price them right. And this is an immediately uh, weird part of the game that deviates itself from container because fish go rotten. Yeah, well, yeah, containers don't go, go yeah. rotten, but fish do. Yeah, you 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 price them up, but you're only going to be in your market for two rounds. And yes. if no one's bought them, they're just going to disappear. I mean, that's that's like real life. Right? right? But there's, there's such a terrifying moment of like, Oh no, what if I undervalue it? What if I overvalue it? It's but you do be- have an opportunity to move that value. Yes. Uh, on your next round, if no one's bought you fish, and like they even go like one step down is like, these are smelly fish. <laughs> these fish <laughs> aren't slightly as- less fresh. Yeah. No. And in most cases, for most fish, it, it doesn't really matter. No. Right? Like they're still just, if, if someone buys them, they're still going to be just as good. But there's even one fish that I think the response It's the puffer fish. Yeah. I think it's the fugu. Okay. I think it's the fugu that you can, if it's starting to go rotten, you can buy it yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's because fugu is so expensive. I yeah. think it's meant to be, right? Like, if, if no one's bought it before it went rotten, you can purchase it yourself and use it. <laughs> Which, I guess, represents you just eating the fugu and going, I'd rather this wouldn't go to waste. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hopefully eating the right bits of the fugu. Well, hopefully, If yeah. I've learned anything from The Simpsons. <laughs> there you go. And so there is that, right? Um... But then you're entering the realm of, like, when I catch a spider crab, uh, then I have to put it up for auction rather yeah. than put it on the market. You have to par it. Yeah, you have to par it, <laughs> which is which, a term we lay in from 18xx games. And for me, like, the reason that you enjoyed it a lot more than I do is yeah. because... I find it so incredibly difficult to work out how much to to set a value for, mm-hmm. for anything. Mm-hmm. I either go way too low or way too high. Like there were a couple of times that I was like, right, I'm going to sell this for 200 yen. And you were like, what? Well, that's <laughs> way too like, like you even said it. And, and then I was yeah. like, okay, I'll move it up a little bit. Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, here's the thing. I normally wouldn't do that in a game because I think it's incredibly rude, of right? Course. To comment yeah, on another player's moves. But I was forced into saying things like that because there was another shark in that game, uh-huh. uh, pun not intended. And I, there was Why a comp- was Oh, because of fish. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. And and I felt like in that five player game there were two people who sort of were more at one with the system than the mm. other players, right? right? Because the other players were sort of like, "Oh, this is a complex game. There's a lot of you know. I'm still dipping my toes into the water, right?" And then there was me and uh, another person called Rob, who were kind of grokking it, right? And we were we were playing a game with each other, right? Yes. And, and then we were all just trailing behind somewhere. Yeah, and I had to say things like, Elaine, that, that's priced too low. Because or priced it way too high. Yeah, because it would have given an advantage to Rob rather than myself. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, was, I was playing an entirely different game. But that's the thing. Like, I, I didn't mind you at all doing that. Uh, I don't like that feeling in a game. No, I of, can imagine. When, yeah. And not, not that you were interrupting or that you were trying to play the game for me or whatever. I, I was quite grateful for for you but i don't like having to have someone holding my hand mm. and and it, this isn't a particular complaint of tokyo Tsukiji market it's yeah. just some games are, are like this where mm. if you have that kind of 
brain that can sort of see the entire picture and work out how things interact with each other immediately you will do better even on your first play than than someone like me that needs to to sit and and work out how all the cogs are interlinked mm. and and I have to play the game once or twice or more to to work out those different bits and how they interact I should mention that it w- we would be remiss not to discuss uh, Tokyo Tsukiji Market's presentation oh, in any beautiful. discussion of the game, right? So first of all, it comes in this uh, tiny little package, and mm. it comes from a series of six games mm. that are all economic games mm. centered around Tokyo. Uh, they're all from Jordan Draper, the, the designer and publisher. Their size, yes. I so I'm not sure if this is true, but I so I've heard that their size conforms to something that would be able to dispense uh, by a Japanese vending machine. <gasps> That's amazing! <laughs> yes, right? And, and all six games are of that size. And uh, because of that, because you're effectively getting a meaty economic puzzle mm-hmm. that I have tested mm-hmm. could fit... In the pocket of my trousers. I mean, you have big pockets, but sure, yeah. I have pretty big pockets. Yeah. I should caveat with that. Yeah. And and it was a bit of a stretch fitting it in, but it does fit into my pocket, much like Tassimasi or Sprolopolis, right? And But it's not the size of Tassimasi no, or Sprolopolis. No, no, no. Uh, but everything is really compact. Yes. Everything has this really minimalist design and has these little... Like very detailed but very tiny fish pieces and lots They're of them. So tiny. Like it reminds me of do you remember that video that Paula Deming did on like shrinking games? Yes. It yes. reminds me of that because and like and I said to you, I mean Twilight Imperium you could fit in a shoebox if you shrank all the components down. Right? And yeah. it just reminds me of that. Like it's an entire game, but tiny. It's yeah. not a small game. Yeah. It's just an <laughs> Tiny. Yeah, this could have easily been the size of uh, a ticket to ride box yeah. or even bigger with bigger components. Yeah, but, definitely. But it's not. It's it's small. It's very small. And sometimes haven't tested this in practice because we could only play it on tabletop simulator because it's not a great yeah. two player game or great three player game. Uh, but in practice, they feel very tiny and probably probably to the detriment of the game. But it. You know, it comes with a cheaper cost. Yes. It, you get a small box. Yes. It and it's more portable. And yeah. There's there's pros and cons, right? Yeah. I did feel like a Lilliputian giant uh, <laughs> moving the little boats around. Like, I felt like I was in a model village. Yeah. <laughs> like, moving my boat out to sea to catch the fish. Strangely, playing over Tabletop Simulator, like, the components don't look small. They're, no. like, normal size. Yes. Right? <laughs> Because I'm like, wait. Well, because you can zoom in. Yeah, let's just make it convenient. Why not? Uh, I didn't hate the game. I and I think without trying to sound big-headed, that's a testament to the game. Because I, I as I already said, I don't like having to put things up at a price because I never know how to price them. I also the other thing I don't like in games is blind bidding, and it has yeah. that. It has that depending on uh, the fish you choose. Yes, it might. Yeah, so there yeah. is a type of fish that that ends up being a bid. Yes, and I. Again, because I either bid way too low or way too high. I don't mm-hmm. know what I'm doing. I'm, I just can't get my head around, around that. Um, but I didn't hate the game. I 
I came away going <laughs> like this, yeah. but I want to play it again. Well, I was enamored with it because each fish presents with it its own puzzle, puzzle it, yeah, it, an economic it puzzle that you have to work out in the grander scheme mm. of all the things. And, and they're all very different. Yeah. Like some fish will increase in value as, mm. as more fish are caught, but as they're sold, they will then de- decrease in value because the market's being flooded. Like mm. it's, it's a very economic puzzle and i think that's what i really liked about it we're definitely going to be looking at tokyo tsukiji market more Mm. uh i'm tempted to make a video about it because i think it's that good so we'll definitely look into it more later let's talk about a game that featured in our latest video four it wasn't a review per se and now we get to talk a little bit more about it because we've Mm. been playing a lot of four lately and we've been really enjoying it and actually one of the things i didn't mention in the video itself and i don't think it's to the detriment of the video but one of the major gameplay aspects which is so if you're not familiar with four i do recommend you watch our video right (laughs) Uh, but if you're not familiar with it the idea is that it's kids trying to build a fort right And, and you're one of the kids and you have friends and these friends are cards, and you're playing a deck building game. And the neat thing about it is that you only get to play one card a turn. But that card will be followed by other players, and they can do the action that you're doing. But the cool thing is that there's also a private action that only you get to do. So you're always trying to leverage, uh, which card should I play? But here's another kicker. The cards you don't play go into the yard. Mm. Because the kids didn't get to play mm. the board. And when the other player is recruiting new kids, as in getting new cards into their deck, they're... They can be like, Oi, Bud, come on over. Help me build a fort instead. And Bud's no longer my friend anymore. Right. Bud's a traitor. He's now my friend. Uh, and and th- that's basically four in a nutshell. It's a continuous cascade it's of cards. It's very circular, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And you're never sure what's going to come, what's going to leave, what's going to work. You you build a deck that has a combo. That combo goes away. You're then sad, <laughs> uh, and then you watch the other player play with your combo, and you're like, "Why? That was my combo." <laughs> Please don't take that kid away from me. They're really good at helping me build my fort. Yeah, uh, and so it's it's a very nice version of the genre. And I just wanted to briefly, really mention it on the podcast. It's a really cool puzzle of. Okay, I've got these three cards in my hand now that mm. I, I want to keep all of these, right? Mm. But I'm not going to be able to because I'm only going to play one card. Yeah. So which of these two kids do I not want most? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah, and, me too. and the thing is, like we said in the video, actually, it possibly can come back to you. Because yeah. even if the kid runs off and goes to someone else's fort, they may then come back to you later on. Yeah, there's also this nice moment of uh, whatever card you play, if it has an action that can be uh, boosted by yes. other cards, you can discard... The kids will help. Yeah, the card discard cards from your hand, and all these cards have suits, right? Mm. So all the time you're trying to leverage what card, not only what card do I want to play because it's going to give me a good action, yeah. is that action also going to be a benefit to the other players and possibly a better benefit mm. to them than to me? After that, you're like, well, can I also boost this with mm. other cards from my hand? Spending those cards, which means they can't be recruited by the other players. That's Because the kid has stayed and helped out th- yeah. that kid, like, help build the fort or whatever. So they, they were engaged and interested. Fort also has a very nice production. Uh, very nice. Yeah, yeah, it's got these nice double-layered boards and colourful 
Cards, with art by Kyle Ferrin, which uh, is the resident artist at Leader Games. And it's just a really nice package. Mm. It's just really and nice. And it's small and portable. And yeah. Yeah. It doesn't fit in my pocket. Oh. It, I've tried. <laughs> unlike Tokyo Tsukiji Market, which is about the same size, but different dimensions. Yeah. It doesn't quite fit into my pocket, sadly. It's too wide. But I think the art really makes this game for me. The art, the theme, the whole thing. I, 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 I highly recommend uh, checking out not only our video, but for a brief time, our playthrough will still be available to watch on Twitch. Yeah. And uh, if you missed out on that, I think you can go on our Twitch page at twitch.tv slash no pun included. In which Efka got really mad at me. <laughs> That's true, because I'm not going to spoil who won, but... <laughs> All the kids are my friends. Do you want to talk about a game that you played but I didn't? That would be Gaslands, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah. So uh, Gaslands, uh, once again, uh, I should mention that Fort was sent as a review copy from Leader Games, and Gaslands was also sent as a review copy from Osprey Games. Uh, Gaslands is a game that's in a book, and mm. the only thing that Osprey Games makes is that book. Uh, otherwise, it suggests that the materials you get for the game are either templates that you cut out yourself, or there are very nice acrylic templates available by third-party board game thing. And not board game thing, board game thing makers, uh -huh. because technically Gaslands isn't really a board game, it's mm -hmm. a war game. And uh, there's custom dice, custom tokens that you can also acquire, or you can just fashion D6s. And finally, the main component of Gaslands, it's the models themselves. <laughs> Uh, and this this is the cool thing about Gaslands already. So normally, when you're getting into miniature wargaming, right, you mm. you have companies that make all the models, sure. right? Well, how do you make the models for Gaslands if if Osprey does not make the models? The answer is pretty simple. The models are cars, and you can use standard. Hot Wheels cars. <laughs> micro machines. Uh, micro machines might be too small. <laughs> Do you think? I don't oh, know. Okay. I don't know about the scale, but 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 Hot Wheels works perfectly. And there's a lot of videos and tutorials. And there's also even once again third party like bits makers where mm -hmm. because you're not just meant to take a micro machine model and be like, that's my car. Right. right? Because you're supposed these, to mod it. Yeah. These are cars from the post-apocalyptic Mad Maxian style future. Sure. And so they're meant to be like, you know, rusted and beaten up and modded, you know, with flamethrowers and mm -hmm. grill plates on windows and all kinds of nonsense. I had an amazing Hot Wheels car as a kid. It was what was it? It was a Panther. Yeah. Like the car was a Panther. Right. And it was purple. Right. But when it got hot, uh -huh. it went pink. Are you sure this isn't just a transformer? <laughs> no, it, it, no, it didn't transform into anything. Right. It, okay. it wasn't a, a person that went into a car. It was just... You said it was a panther. Yeah, it was no, a the, car, but was a panther. Right, right. Right. So it was... The car was a panther shape. Right. Okay. It was super cool. All right, I, okay. It was amazing. But then it became the pink panther? I guess it did. Wow. Uh, anywho, so Gaslands, uh, you know, you, you get to tinker with Hot Wheels, and that's already cool, right? You played this on uh, Tabletop Simulator, No, right? I played this on Vassal, uh, right. which is, uh, if, for those not familiar, uh, it's kind of like Tabletop Simulator, but mostly used for miniature war games or uh -huh. war games of other kinds, like Chid's War Games. It's, it's more in the realm of all kinds of war gaming, but mm -hmm. it also does have mods for various 
tabletop games. It's a slightly different system. It doesn't have the physics engine that Tabletop Simulator does. It's more sort of just top-down mm -hmm. view. It just feels like you're moving computer bits rather than digital models okay. or whatever. But, you know, it worked pretty well for Gaslands. So uh, I want to say a very big thank you to Mark Bigme from So Very Wrong About Games, a very excellent podcast that you should all be listening to, who, as soon as uh, he saw on Twitter that Osprey Games had sent me over some Gasland stuff, he was like, I want to show you Gasland. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> so Mark did a terrific job of, uh, of running me through the system and uh, explaining how it all works and also facilitating a very fun game. So uh, what we played with Mark was a death race, Elaine, ah, right? A race to the death. A race to the death, and it almost was. Uh, I see. And so here's how it works, right? Uh, each of you belongs to a team, so I can't remember the names of the teams oh. that we were playing. I'm so sorry. I can't remember the names. They're like, fa they're like corporations or whatever, uh -huh. right? In this post-apocalyptic future that sponsor you or whatever, right? I see. Um, so mine was very fast, very well-controlled cars, mm -hmm. right? And, like, these cars go mad, okay? okay? So having a sense of control over your car is the opposite of what you think it is. Is it like a Scalextric when it, like, zooms off the track? Yeah, but, like, <laughs> but you manage to sort of just about keep it on the thing, right? That's the idea, right? Oh, I see. Like, this is a car that's going to skid somersault right wow. like well okay i didn't actually somersault but it felt like i was <laughs> okay. at a certain time right but and then somehow you miraculously you know make the landing and then keep going right you don't stop right mm -hmm. that was me right mm -hmm. sonic the hedgehog like a, like a but bmx a car. rally but with a car yeah yeah uh -huh. mark was playing a different faction mark was playing a faction that had rocket launchers strapped to his car cool. and he got bonuses for shooting those rocket launchers okay and <laughs> and, and mostly he was like i'm gonna trail behind you and because the rocket launchers are at the side of my car can they go forward then Rocket launches. Well, so he had to turn his car, uh, right? And then when he turned his car, and my car was in front of in the side of his car, like he parallel, would be like, yeah. "Well, here come the rocket launchers." <laughs> and, and so, what was great about this? The system itself for uh, Gaslands is very familiar uh, to anyone who's played X-wing, yeah. the miniature okay. uh, skirmish game. You have templates. You know, your models move according to the templates, and then maybe you'll get to do the shooty-shooty, right? Mm -hmm. uh, strangely, I I never shot anything. Right. All I did was, because my faction was based around being very maneuverable and very fast, all I did was just, I had two cars, uh -huh. one of them stayed behind. Uh -huh. In fact, the main purpose of my second car was to ram other cars, <laughs> right, right? Okay. So at the start of the game, I rammed my own car. Why? Because it gave it a boost. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> of course. Right? So that immediately makes sense. I started the game with the second car, boosting the first car. Yeah. So the first car went ahead, and then it went ahead even further. Oh, like, did you hit it from behind? Yeah, so yeah. it, like, pushed it yeah, forward. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> and so, because I, I, like, this was... So Mark started by saying, we win in two ways. We either finish the race, and uh -huh. whoever finishes the race first mm -hmm. wins, which never happens. He said that to me, okay. right? And or we like, you know, kill each other. Right. right? Sure, yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm winning the race. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm doing in this mm -hmm. game. That's my role, right? And did you? Well, Elaine, 
I, I'm not going to spoil who won the game. Okay. Because I don't like to brag. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but what's important to know about this game is that it, it, it relied on the very last die roll. And it was one of those, right? Where you're like, oh, wow. is, is it going to go my way or Mark's way? And then the dice rolled. And that's what mattered, not who won. I see. Also, <laughs> also, uh, okay, so I did win that game. But I will say that Mark was an excellent facilitator. And mm. he knew the game system a lot better. Mm -hmm. And I am almost absolutely certain he was just letting me have a little I bit see. of fun. Okay. Right? Okay. That's nice. Yeah, it was really nice. Uh, so yeah, uh, so I didn't do the shooty shooty. My, my second card did the rammy rammy, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. My first card just got ahead. But you didn't have the shooty shooty, right? I had some shoot, like oh, you okay. can shoot pistols from your car. You had shooty rather than shooty shooty. Yeah, exactly, yeah, okay. right? All right? But I had mines. Oh. Right? So so I I would be able to drop mines because my car's first. I just drop the mines. This is like Mario Kart. I know. <laughs> I, I don't care about what happens to my second car. Uh -huh. I just want to drop a mine. Uh -huh. Whoever gets into the mine, uh -huh. they're, they're going to have a time uh -huh. and I'm going to go ahead, right? But the brilliant thing about the system as well is that there are basically six phases to each round mm -hmm. and each, on each of the six phases you get to activate right but you only get to activate if you are in the gear of that phase so if, if you're in if you're at least in first gear in the first phase which you right. are you get to activate and then you need to spend what is called shifts to get into the next gear because you shift the gear right, right? okay, okay. The, but i mean it sounds like a bad idea driving in first gear for a long time well yes but also it's a bad idea on getting into like fifth gear because i had the potential of getting into fifth gear on yeah. the very first turn the problem is that the movement templates are restricted based on what gear you are in right so if you're only in fifth or sixth gear you can only go straight and that's it yeah, because you're going too fast. Right, yeah. <laughs> you're not manoeuvring your car. When exactly, you're right? You, you can go really long, yeah. but you can only go straight. I mean, that's that makes sense. Yeah, and the course is full of obstacles, uh -huh. right? And and you can't just go straight because it's like, we literally had to do like a loop around itself. Mm -hmm. And they were full of like barriers and stuff like that. You know, you don't <laughs> want to hit those. No. And then you need to evade Mark's rocket launchers, right? Uh, for sure. So there was a lot of these nice moments. And a lot of push your luck because basically, so my car, because it was maneuverable, it could roll a lot of shift dice before right. it activated, right? And uh, shift dice are really horribly uncontrollable because they give you hazards, even right. if you roll a shift, right? Uh -huh. And then if you collect a number, a certain number of hazards, your car will literally flip out. Right. <laughs> okay. right? So you don't want to do that, but you want to roll those shifts, yeah. right? Because not only do shifts cancel out hazards as well, so you can either shift into different gear yeah. or cancel, cancel, cancel out a hazard. So you can like kind of use an economy of shift right, dice, okay. right? But additionally to that, you could get just a hazard, which is you got nothing on that dice. You could get a spin, which means at the end of the move, you can kind of maneuver your car into any angle that you want uh -huh. and get a hazard. Uh -huh. And finally, there's spin, which basically means 
that you spin out of control <laughs> and then instead of the template you were getting you have to ad hoc this adjacent bit to the template <laughs> right and that means that your car is now somewhere entirely else where you thought it was going to be <laughs> potentially hitting a thing i was gonna say does it make you crash yeah it can make you crash <laughs> okay, right. right so gaslands was just a lot of that yeah right it sounds frenetic i know i've kind of gone on about has- okay. gaslands for a while here's one last thing there's a lot of rules minutiae I see. Right? And and I don't think I would have had as much fun with it if it wasn't for, for Mark. Mark. Yeah. yeah. Who knew the system and was like, okay, well, because you roll this, these are your options. You can do this, this, this. That's and you have helpful. this ability. So think about that as well. And, he's, and here's some potential consequences of what might happen, mm-hmm. right? And so having that was incredibly helpful. If I had just read the book on my own and it was like, Elaine, we're going to play this new yeah. game. I don't think we would have had as much of a fun time. Now that I've been taught it, I feel like once we, you know, set up a course. You feel uh, like you could do the same for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Maybe a, not not as well, but I have, I have a better understanding of the system. But there's definitely some learning barriers yes. in the system. Okay. I will say, though, though, it was immensely more fun than X-Wing because... <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, if, if you're into X-Wing, Gasland trounces it because... The scope of X-Wing is I have ships, you have ships, they fly uh-huh. into each other, uh-huh. you know. Even if when there's like missions or whatever, it's still, okay, we still need to just mostly shoot each other and we're on a head-on collision course, right? This was something entirely different, you know. This was so much more fun and engaging and, you know, different emergent strategies based mm. on what your team is and what you're so trying are to they, achieve. Are there just those two types of teams or are there different... I believe there's more. I believe there's more. Yeah. So you can play different strategies. Yes, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Okay, that sounds cool. And I like the idea that that there's this kind of you spin out of control. Like you've you've gone too far. Yeah. You've you've pushed your luck too much, mm-hmm. and you've just gone nope, yeah. and you've whizzed off the track. And it's always that decision. Uh-huh. You, you have it. And Mark had said basically, I'm I I'm a conservative player. So I mostly just put the the medium template in front uh-huh. of me, the medium straight template, uh-huh. and I just move ahead a little bit, and then hopefully I shoot someone. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm just going to go. I feel like I would be like I drive in real life, like a like a little old lady. <laughs> like, just, you know, like do you remember that um, farming simulator that we got with the PlayStation? Oh yeah, yeah. And, and you were like, oh, this looks really boring. And I was like, can we just put it on just to see what it's like? And I was like, I love this game. You have to drive so carefully. I love it. So I'm not sure how I would get on with a game that that everything is everywhere. But it sounds like a lot of fun. Sounds like you had a lot of fun. I had an ama- amazing amount of fun. I'm looking forward to getting into Gaslands more. High Rise is a game that we have mentioned on the podcast before. It's from designer Gil Hover. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Formal not a review games. copy. This is a Kickstarter you have backed, Elaine. Yes. And you were very excited to I receive was. it. And we played it twice now. Yes. And this was going to be our feature game of the podcast. Yes. We decided to change that. Yes. Uh, and let's talk a little bit more about High Rise. Mm. This was going to be our feature game of the podcast. And we decided to change that because whilst we enjoyed High Rise quite a bit, and you can hear our discussion on it on the previous episode, mm-hmm. we'll just briefly mention that we just didn't find that it had the longevity that we were looking for from it. High Rise is a game that we jokingly on the last podcast said, it's a bit like Monopoly. Yeah. Because you go around a board mm-hmm. and you land on certain spaces. And if there's someone else's building on that space... They get a thing. 
a bit like Monopoly, but yeah. you get to you get a thing as well, right? Mm. Um, and that's kind of why we compared it, but it's nothing like Monopoly. But mm. it, it's a game uh, where you go, it has like a, a rondelle type yeah. system where you go around the board and you can move as far as you want. But whatever but, you miss, you miss. But right? whatever you miss, you miss until mm. the next round. And if there are people uh, mm. behind you, they can take as many turns as they want to catch up. Mm-hmm. So it's until they pass you and then you get to go again. Mm-hmm. I think the reason that we we found that it doesn't have the longevity is because when we played it multiple times, although there are, are quite a few different cards that come out, there's uh, you kind of randomise what kind of buildings will come out. We found it quite repetitive. Yeah, and that was a shame because the system that is the rondel system is actually out of all the rondel systems where you 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 skip everything you move yeah. past. I found that I don't like that system. No. It's not. One that pleases me because it makes me feel like I'm on a very long car trip and I'm looking out the window and going, these are all the places I like to go to, but instead we're going to, I don't know, Baron Furness or something like that, right? Wow. Yeah, right? Just go straight past Chessington World of Adventures and... Uh... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but Because you normally just go, oh, here's all the things I'd like to have, but I need to go and get the thing. Yeah. That's why I don't like the whole thing, right? But out of all of these, I found this the more enjoyable system because a lot of the spaces are fun. Uh, it's just the, the problem with the game, I think, for me, was that... There wasn't much past that. We mentioned in the previous episode that it all was very familiar systems, just combined in a unique way. But I think because we've played too many games. Yeah, Yeah, I think if you hadn't played games that had all of these different systems in them, I think you would find it very enjoyable. Mm Mm-hmm. I did enjoy the corruption mechanism, but I've, I found that quite unique in that mm-hmm. game. I don't think I've played anything that gives you corruption. But Loads but, of Waterdeep expansion. Yeah, there are, there are games that kind of give you a negative for a positive and you have to weigh up mm. how much you want one for the other. But I didn't find it punishing enough, honestly. And I, I think that's my only criticism with that part of it was that even if you are have more corruption than the other player... Mm. The negative that you get for it is not quite per round yeah. at the end of each round is just that you don't get to play one of the cards that are in front well, of you. Well, it's also which... negative points at the end of the game and it's cumulative, right? Sure, yeah. sure. Um, but it never feels quite... As stringent enough as you want it to right. be. Yeah, right. I understand that. I also uh, was slightly peeved by the many rules ambiguities that are <laughs> present in the game and constantly having to look up the rule book and the rule book not being quite as clear as I wanted to be. Mm. And that detracted from... It just felt like there were some moments of sloppy production. Like, for example, um, there is an action space and that action space sometimes says, well, just put this card underneath it, right? Mm. And the image on the action space is not exactly corresponding to the card image, the actions that are depicted are slightly different. And you're like, well, which one of these is right? Yeah. Um, so there's, there's... It doesn't sound like a big thing, but when there's 500 different images in the game and they yeah. all do different things, yeah. right, it makes a difference. And some of the terminology was quite confusing for, it was for a little describing woolly, yeah. what the action actually is. The word draw being used 
to draw resources out of the bag mm. was particularly woolly in some instances and created some weird situations in the in the in the interpretation of rules yeah and the in the rule book there it is laid out what every action does so you can go back to the rule book and and find out but as there's wording on the card mm. why isn't that wording clearer why do i have to keep going back to the rule book and going oh that's what that means yeah that that was all really that might as well just have had the picture on the card and then if you couldn't remember what it did okay you, you go can to go the to rule the rules book. yeah um yeah so this these sort of minor issues plaguing the game uh that overall made us think this is a nice package just mm. maybe not quite enough for a feature of the podcast terramara is a game that i got up to page seven of the rule book and went i can't i just can't i have to watch a video on this i have no idea what's going on i've read seven pages and i'm still completely in the dark this is coming from a person who's won 18xx games in her sleep <laughs> oh no that doesn't count that doesn't, you did though doesn't mean anything um I'm just saying, right? I just couldn't get my head around the rule book at all. Like, I just felt like it was all over the place. It was giving examples of things that it hadn't explained. Anyway, should we talk a bit about <laughs> the game itself? How did you learn the game, Elaine? I, I watched a video from John Gets Games, which was excellent. And I <laughs> put a comment on the video saying, thank you so much, you're an absolute diamond, because we wouldn't have been able to play this game otherwise. Terramara is also n not a review copy. It's a game we purchased ourselves at Essenspiel. Um, but just managed to get to the table. Just managed to get to the table. Now, it's maybe maybe there was a reason. Maybe we weren't looking <laughs> yeah, forward to it. Maybe we went into this with the wrong expectations as well. So what is Terramara? Terramara is a medium to heavyweight Euro game, mm. right? And uh, if you're not familiar with Euro games, they're sometimes, often, solitaire uh, efficiency puzzles, yeah. right? Uh, with worker placement. Yeah, this one particularly uses the uh, mechanism of worker placement, where you place a worker on an action space, you get and to you do, do that action, thing. and you block it off for other players. Terramara has the innovation of uh, action spaces from the future, but unlike <laughs> Anachrony, it doesn't theme itself around time travel. It, no. just, it just goes, well, you know... You can do them in the future, whatever. You don't have to pay yourself back somehow, yeah. but you just you, if you put your meeple there, it stays there until that future round. Yes, so there's like five or six rounds. I can't remember right now. It's been it's been a month since we played it. Yeah, maybe five. Uh, I think. Yeah, five, and five eras or whatever. Yeah, so so you can place your worker in the round five space, mm. which means you lost that worker for the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you can do that on round one. But saying saying that uh, you block it off for other people, uh, mm. you also have like a grande worker. Yes. Just like in um, Viticulture. And many other games. And many other games. Yeah. Who is a special, a special worker who can't be placed in the future for some reason. Yeah. But can go to spaces that other people have gone to. Yeah. And Terramara, uh, for me, this is going to be a very quick discussion because... Whilst it has a lot of nifty mechanisms, like uh, you, you get all kinds of cards, and these cards are your scoring conditions and special abilities, and you get... I think I ended up the game with like 77 of them or something like that. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of cards. I might be exaggerating, right? So there's a lot of nifty things going on, like, oh, you know, there's all these cards. They all do different things. Mm. I score for various things mm. now. I mm -hmm. need to keep them in mind. And there's... Once again, 77 tracks yeah. on the game as well that you well, need to go off on. That might be an on. exaggeration, but I think there's well, there's three. Yeah. I think it's three. There's like the war 
track. track. There's the caravan, caravan track. track and, and the, the river, river track. track. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And so, you know, you <laughs> you move up on the tracks to get bonuses, right? And mm. fulfill certain scoring conditions and sometimes benefits, you know, like, oh, you're this far on the track. You know, you got this card here, get a benefit, right? The problem with Terramara for me is that it's a game that offers a bajillion actions mm -hmm. And then none of it is particularly interesting because most of it is resource conversion, right? Yes. It's like convert the resource to go up on the track, get a bonus, right? Yeah. And okay, that's fine. I'm, I've got nothing against that. I enjoy games with yeah. these mechanisms. It's just that there's already a lot of these yeah. games. It doesn't bring anything yeah. so different. No. And I, I immediately, when I think of Terramara, I immediately think of A Feast for Odin because... Mm. Like that game, it's also a resource conversion game where you're sort of going on... Okay, on Feast of the World, and you're not going up tracks. You're sort of building up more an economy. Yeah. But it's it's in that vein, and it has just a bajillion of action spaces. Some of them cost less workers. Some of them cost more workers. Mm -hmm. It's just that this future worker system is, is a spin on worker placement that doesn't really make me interested in the game more because it's just more obfuscated maths. All it's doing is making the mathematics of, of placing a worker more complicated. Mm. Like, because what you're doing is, okay, so if I place a worker there, right, uh, that means I lost him for two rounds, yeah. which means this action is, should if I want to do it, it should have the weight of three actions. Yes. What does a typical action give me? Does this action give me the weight of three actions? And I sort of have to do that calculation in my head. And it, it feels tedious. In Feast for Odin, it says simply, place one worker, two workers, three workers, four workers. Yeah. Do you want the thing or not, right? <laughs> and, and that to me is so much more engaging because it's simplifying the placing, yeah. right? And it's freeing up my brain space to do different things. To complete your own puzzle that you're working on. Yeah, exactly. Rather than trying to puzzle through, how do I place my workers? Yes. How many do I place? How do I place them in the future? How many how, how many turns is this worth to me? Right? And tell yeah. me, was, how do you feel about the ending? Because... The ending was, was kind of lacklustre, I think. Yeah. Um, and you're not the biggest fan of A Feast for Odin, right? But you must admit that in A Feast for Odin, you have this sort of sense of finality as you complete the board. Or not, as the case might be, and you <laughs> panic at the end that, you, that you've got all these uh, all these negative points awaiting you. The thing about Feast for Odin, it's interesting you mention that, because all the actions that you can do are very close together and are very mm. well presented, like a menu of, of yes. things that you can do, whereas in Terramara, they're kind of all split up and they're, they're within the theme. So mm. the, the actions are within the artwork, but you still only get this resource or you do yeah. this or whatever. And, and I find that, I find to some extent that that makes it harder for me to know where to place because I'm looking around the board going, well, where's that action that I kind of wanted to mm. do? Is it is that the one that I wanted? And especially if you're playing it upside down like I was. Well, it doesn't help that most of the actions are very, very rote in Terramara. Mm. And like in Peace oh, Broad, very much, there's yeah. like a, a variance of like, oh, you get to roll this die or you put out this little tile in front of you mm. or, oh, you go on an island or mm. you hunt or something like that, right? There's, there's all these things going on in Terramara. You get wood, uh, you get stone, mm -hmm. you get other an, resources. Other resources. You upgrade these resources into better wood, better stone, mm. or you go up on the track. 
and and that's sort of it, right? Yeah, and I never found the actions in the future to be worth spending several actions on. We haven't tried all of the actions, and I this talked, is true. I talked to John from John Gates Games afterwards, and he yeah. said, "What actions did you have?" And I said, "These, these, and these." Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh, these don't sound very interesting." Right. Okay. Right. Okay. So, well, that's. But but why is that in a game? <laughs> why is there like oh you have to play the interesting version of this game not the boring version that you played like why is that a thing i think it's safe to say that terramara for us was a letdown and that's with our expectations being not very high yeah what i did quite like was you have this person card yeah and they give you a bonus uh-huh. but you can flip that person at some point and it's like them in the future it's them that, but older yeah and they give you this different oh, yeah you have these children bonus. yeah you have you children, have these creepy that, children that, that are your special abilities yeah. yeah it's quite funny if you like efficiency puzzles this this one is probably fine and I think that's it. I think it's it's fine. Yeah, and if you can bear with a rule book that's not very good and just watch John's video instead, you'll probably have a decent time with Terramara. But we've seen <laughs> what, what I found quite funny was um, the because we played a two player game. You have to block off certain actions mm. and it's fire tokens like there's bits of the village that are on fire so you can't go there because you're only playing two player i just thought that was quite quite funny shall we move on to something else back to card games edge of darkness oh that's not the type of card game that we were just talking about <laughs> because we we're talking about village green which is a small <laughs> game and, and it has uh, opaque cards, game. and that has opaque cards too. Yeah. But Edge of Darkness doesn't. Its cards are transparent. Oh. Okay, so Edge <laughs> of Darkness is the size of Gloomhaven. Let's just get out, uh-huh. that out of the uh-huh. way. And it is one of the most peculiar games I have played in a long time. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm not sold on the idea of uh, translucent cards as part of a deck builder. Mm-hmm. So the okay. whole shtick is, uh, if you've played Mystic Veil, vale, you know what's going on. It's the same designer, it's the same publisher. If you haven't played, Mystic Veil vale and Edge of Darkness are both deck building games, where as part of the course of playing the game, you build out your deck. You know, the, the decisions of what goes into your deck are part of the gameplay, if that makes sense. Yeah. The twist here is that the cards are translucent, and when you start out with these cards, they only fill a certain portion of the card. But... And they're all in a sleeve, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But as the gameplay continues, you will get other translucent cards that fill out a different portion of the card. And you get to slot them in that, into that sleeve. And because the translucent parts overlay over each other, there's a, there's a combined card. Which to me is like, take out this card from your deck, add a different card in that has different abilities. Sure, you get to decide how that card is shaped out. I understand the difference. In a recent video, I made a very sort of offhanded joke about there being no point in mm, translucent cards mm. because it's just, just replace it with a different card. My point is that it's a very expensive to produce system, I imagine, mm. because you have to have gajillions and gajillions and gajillions of cards. Uh, and that's the sacrifice you're making for having this card crafting system, which is not the same as replacing a card with a different card, but the effect of it feels pretty similar. I had a card, now I have a different card. It does a different thing. But what I like about that kind of way of card Mm -hmm. crafting 
is that you get, it's just that, you get to choose what you're adding to it. So each different ability, I guess, mm-hmm. that you can choose from also has a kind of a negative on it. In the game, you have a monster that, that is going to attack at some point. Mm-hmm. And when it attacks is determined by how many cubes it has. Yeah, and these cubes, <laughs> and these, you should not pivot away from this. <laughs> should I not? No. These, these cubes go into like a dice tower, like a cube tower, and you drop them down. <clears throat> and like a pachinko machine, right? Like it drops sure, into yeah, different right, slots. Right. So there's randomly. three different slots that it might come out of. And yeah. if it comes out of a slot and there are six cubes in total in a two-player game. for that monster, that monster will activate. We can come back to that. But yeah. my point was... Each of these abilities has an amount of cubes on it. Mm -hmm. You're kind of weighing up a little bit the ability versus how many, how much threat am I going to generate from this action? Yeah. So each time you upgrade a card, you're putting more cubes into this tower. Not immediately, but there's like a whole cycling system. And, And the other difference from any deck builder that I've ever played before in Edge of Darkness is that you're not crafting your own deck, right? You're crafting a communal Communal deck. deck. Yeah. And then in a system that's very similar to games like Century Spice Road, Mm. uh, every time it's your turn, you get to draft cards from a pool and put them into your own hand. Mm. So the deck that's being built is being built communally by all players, Mm. but it is absolutely 100% a competitive game. But also we had different factions and there were cards that were unique to those factions that either of us could upgrade if we wanted to that went into that communal pool. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if I played a card that was your card effectively, that was your faction, I had to pay you to do different things on it. And then you got that card back. Like it didn't go back into the, mm. the discard, it went to you. All of these things sound really cool to me, Elaine. Uh-huh. Was it cool to play? I think I liked it more than you. I found it... Really dull. Monotonous. <laughs> yeah, I know you did. And, I know and you did. I, I, I saw the promise of all these systems. Yeah. And then I felt trapped into the, in this endless road cycle of, of other systems that were created to facilitate this system. Yes. It felt like a very simple game masquerading under quite a bit of clutter. Strangely, like the game... Like a Rube game, Goldberg machine. Yeah, right? like a Rube, Gold, Rube Goldberg machine. Strangely, the game also comes in a box that is Gloomhaven size, yeah. has miniatures, mm-hmm, has this mm-hmm. gigantic tower that you drop cubes into, and the tower I like, right? But this myriad of, of you know, cardboard slats that represent locations, mm-hmm. which are completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right? Completely. And what really annoyed me about them was that the location art is different from the card art for that location. And so then it just confuses you. You were continually going, well, where is this card for? What's the action that I'm going to be doing? Because yeah. this isn't clear. And I hated that. I, I think you're right. I think it was it was quite convoluted. And because it was our first game, I didn't, I didn't kind of realise what the actions did. Yes. And so I... I didn't necessarily build up and and craft the card in the way that I should have done. So I ended up with some quite bunk abilities mm-hmm. that didn't really do a lot or didn't interact with each other properly. And I think I had a bit of more of a miserable time because of that. Another thing that's worth mentioning, uh, this is once again a game we purchased ourselves. Uh, we purchased it secondhand because Edge of Darkness is not available to mm. buy. Uh, maybe there will be another Kickstarter in the future for it at some point, yeah. but... Currently, it's a Kickstarter exclusive, right? Like you, boo, I, boo. <laughs> I know, boo, boo, boo. But there, uh, so 
Uh, we're going to be talking about this in the future on No Point Included. I, I'm not going to say when or how or what, but that's a topic of yeah. uh, for another time. But I do want to say that we played with the starting set uh, that was offered in the rulebook to mm-hmm. say, like, mm-hmm. if you never played this, yeah, played with did. these, play with these cards. The cards were frankly fairly dull in terms of what they did, and there's a whole slew of other cards and abilities that are in this box that are waiting to be tried. So I'm looking forward into digging into... Much like Dominion, you pick some cards that are going to be part of this game, but not all cards are. So I'm looking forward to trying some different cards and different effects and different abilities and seeing if this game... Yeah, me too, actually. ...lives up to the size of its box a little bit more. We didn't need it to to hold our hands quite so much. We didn't need the, the training wheels quite mm-hmm. so much. I, I don't know if that might be helpful... To some people, but but I, I feel like no, because it was just a bit boring. It made it a bit boring. I felt like I was doing nothing. Yeah. I didn't feel like I was getting into the game um, or like I was learning how the game was working. I just felt like I wasn't doing enough. Well, it felt like the systems uh, that were created to facilitate the game were directly impeding the fun of playing with these cards, <laughs> right? Sure, sure, yeah. That's sort of where my problem really, I think, mm. with the mechanisms of this game lie. Mm. But yeah, we'll talk about it more at some other point. Mm-hmm. Elaine, I've just been informed about a miscommunication. It turns out we already talked about nine games. That's not counting no, Ride the Rails or Targi, <laughs> which we're going to talk about in the future, or Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, Wow, which is in the escape room not escape room section puzzle deduction one and done escape room there we go thank you very much that's the segment (laughs) right so a total of 12 games we're discussing in this episode i guess so cripes let's very quickly cover what games we are looking forward to playing well (laughs) we're gonna talk about more games uh i'm really looking forward to um tokyo metro which is another game in the series with tokyo tsukiji market from jordan draper from jordan draper so it's the same size box it's the same size components yeah um i've read the majority of the rules for it and it Mm. it looks like my kind of game it looks like a another economic simulator but you're you're building a railway but a very tiny railway you're moving the train between stops and delivering passengers and things like that it looks fun. I'm looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward to Project Elite, a game we've played before in its previous incarnation as not published by Simon. Now it's published by Simon. We have a review copy. We didn't get on with it the first time. So no. I'm hoping that this production makes it a little bit better. I am also really looking forward to a game we're going to be playing as soon as we finish this podcast, which is uh, Cole Burley, the designer of Root and also Pax Pamir, both games that we have reviewed in the past. It's going to be showing us around his new game, which hasn't been published yet. Oath, you can look forward to the discussion on Oath in the next podcast, and unless we... I don't know. We have a massive fight with Cole and nothing happens. <laughs> wow. And, well, it, wow. Could, it could happen. If we're not discussing open the next podcast, that's what happens. Well, no why. <laughs> we're also looking forward to Adventure Mart, which we, we got a little while ago, but we haven't managed to get to the table yet. Uh, that's a deck Another building deck game mm-hmm. uh, that has a similar theme as Bargain Quest, where you're selling... Yeah. Stuff to adventurers. But it's very cutesy. It's very cutesy and I heard good things about it. Mm, so I'm yeah, looking me too. forward to it. Is there anything else? That's it. Well, that we're going to stop looking forward to things now, Elaine. <laughs> we would still look forward to those no, though, right? No, no okay, it's okay. time. All right then. Is it time to do a grump? It's time to do a grump. 
it's time to grump about a game, Elaine. And I don't really want to do this because I have very, very conflicted feelings. Uh, so I want to talk about Ride the Rails, which is a game in the train series that's published by Capstone Games. I can't remember um, what the train series it's called is called. I think it's something Iron Rails or something mm. like that. But the idea is that they're taking past titles in the cube rails genre. Now, for those who are not familiar with the cube rails genre, don't worry, you are by far not the only person. Up until Irish Gage, I had no idea what cube rails even were. But, well, I guess one of the things that Capstone Games did, and which is great, is brought the genre more to the forefront, right? Yes. We're not familiar with it, we're aware of it, we're excited to try some of the other titles in the Cube Yeah, Rails we never genre. would have heard of any of it if they hadn't have done yeah. that. A lot of people ask, are Cube Rails like 18xx games, which we previously covered, and mm. there's a video on our YouTube channel? And the answer is no. Uh, they are much simpler, much lighter, much shorter, but they still feature trains and stocks. Those are the two sort of mainstay yeah. staples of the genre. If, if 18xx was a full like Christmas dinner, there'd be a Brussels sprout. Yes, exactly. So uh, the problem that we're coming to right now is that a lot of the Cube Rails games have been mostly designed or published by one person in the past. Yes. And that person is John Borer. I'm not going to bore you uh, with all the problematic things that John okay. Borer has done. There is a lot, but I'm going to very quickly list all of them. So, or at least the ones that I'm aware of. There's the whole rights issue with uh, who designed Age of Steam. Mm -hmm. He's claimed to be the designer of Age of Steam. Mm -hmm. And legally, he is the designer of Age of Steam, except the designer of Age of Steam is Martin Wallace. And mm -hmm. there's a whole complicated thing there if you want to read up on that. By all means, please Google. Then, of course, uh, he is infamous for selling his games at Essen Spiel. Uh, and he would ask, can I please see your BGG collection and if he didn't like something on your bgg collection he wouldn't sell what you, you one of his games what if you don't have a bgg collection then he wouldn't sell you one of his so games he wouldn't sell, so i don't have anything you, on exactly, BGG. exactly right? yes you are not worthy wow. elaine you are not deemed worthy by this man wow. uh, so that's obviously really horrible and exclusionary but let's move on from that he's in the past doxes customers mm. which you're not familiar with what doxing is that's basically revealing private information to the public uh and namely people's addresses and phone numbers etc yeah. etc which are given in confidence. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, or e not even given in confidence. It to him, they were given in confidence because they were his customers. Yes. Uh, sometimes doxing is much more worse where people deliberately seek out your private information. Sure, and sure, but I just meant for this, this yeah. particular example. Yeah. yeah, what he did doesn't make it any better, no. if not worse, you know. Um, then, of course, we come to the ride the rails issue, uh, which is has been designed in the past by John Bohr, but if you look at the cover, it says Harry Wu. Harry Wu is just John Bohr. He's mm -hmm. using an Asian name as a pseudonym for himself, and he's defended his right to do so because uh, you've told me this just now, just recently I've learned. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, don't, I don't remember the entire thing, but uh, it was something to do with, like, he. there was someone who was Asian that suggested the name to him or yeah I don't know it was and, just... and that made it fine he obviously uses a multitude of pseudonyms this isn't the only one uh, but it has been contractually stipulated from what I understand uh, that Harry Wu is on the cover of Ride the Rails which is a game that he designed it was called something else in the past mm. when it was originally published uh, Capstone Games have 
rename this. So we, this is the complicated part. Uh, we played Ride the Rails, and when we got Ride the Rails, we were already aware uh, that it wasn't a Harry Wu game. Mm -hmm. It was a John Borer game. And uh, I, I wanted to try it still, which makes me feel very, very uneven and unclean inside, mm -hmm. if, if I'm honest. Uh, I wanted to try it still because I think, at least Irish Gage has shown me, that it's a whole new genre of games that are exciting and appealing and actually accessible, right? Yes. Uh, and very interesting. And I wanted to see that genre blossom and I wanted to see that genre develop. I wanted yeah. to you know, see new designers take these systems that were developed in the past and innovate and iterate on them and put their own spin. And I was hoping that that was something that Capstone Games would facilitate with this new series and an artistic redesign yeah. by Inno Tool. And you don't want your only reference point to be one game in that genre, which is yes. um, Irish Gage, right? Exactly, right? Uh, but but e immediately for the second one, they picked a John Borer title. Yeah. Uh, which, which is a shame because they're such an awesome publisher, generally. Generally, yes. It, it just uh, oh, I also need to mention that uh, Ride the Rails is a review copy yes. that was sent to us, <laughs> and also uh, it was sent along with a pack of coffee, which we don't really drink, but you know, so it's you you can read it as a bribe, but it's not because it doesn't do anything. But I guess there's the gesture, you know. Uh, but the thing with Ride the Rails that that I found incredibly complicated is that first of all it is an interesting game mm. it is an interesting system it's uh much more opaque than irish gauge mm. and much more mathy mm -hmm. an entirely different kind of game and and it creates very weird game states and i'm not sure it's a game i would necessarily recommend okay even though i was personally enamored with it but any discussion i would want to have about ride the rails would have to be prefaced with this entire thing and i'm i'm sort of Slightly sad and disappointed with Capstone Games for having to choose to publish this title. They could have, they could have found something else. Mm. They could have, you know, went in a different direction, but they didn't. And um, it's an interesting decision that they made there, and I, I'd be interested on the the backstory behind why they chose that particular title. Game. When I'm already hearing about new Cube Rails games being yeah. developed that are by different designers and mm. uh, not John Borer. And what I'm trying to say is, I guess, I want to see this genre grow. And even though it had a very problematic route, the genre itself is not responsible for it, yeah. right? It's it's just a game genre, right? Yeah. It's, it's not like a lot of things that spun off of Lovecraft are immediately problematic because they spun out of specifically just Lovecraft, right? Yeah, something that was already problematic. Yeah, but, yeah but game it, genres are not tied to a single person. But it doesn't mean that every book in the in the entire horror sci-fi genre is yes, bad, right? exactly, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I want to see this genre grow and develop and I want to see the genre have more exposure and I want to give it that mm. exposure but I can't do that with Ride the Rails. I, in some ways, am very glad that I uh, didn't get on with Ride the Rails as much as with Irish Gage, mm. because that makes my job easier. Yeah. I can sort of just brush it aside and go, huh, you know, well, that one's not good. Let's move on. But in some ways, in other ways, yeah. I'm also um, in a position where my job is also something I really enjoy doing. My well, job, I'm glad to hear that. My, my job is, is a hobby and I enjoy playing games and uh, I, I don't want to do this, you know. I, I don't want to grump about this, no. if I'm honest. Because 
I, I'd rather there wasn't a need to grump for it, but there is. And uh, Capstone Games, if you're listening to this, all I can say is we loved a lot of your work and mm. we'll continue loving mm. more of your work when it comes in the future. I just hope that... That maybe some of the choices that you make as a company are more considered. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it, I think. Elaine, I feel very bad after that. Uh, I th- you shouldn't. It's necessary. It's necessary, but it's so much negativity, and I just I don't enjoy negativity. Why don't you ungrump a game for me, <laughs> and I'll feel a little bit better? Well, Efka, uh, I'm not going to ungrump a game. I'm going to ungrump a concept. I'm looking forward to it. Um, good. I'm glad to hear that. And the concept that I'm going to ungrump is streaming. I'll be quite honest. Before lockdown. Mm-hmm. Before this whole situation happened, I hadn't watched that many streams. You know, occasionally, like, I'd catch one. But the fact that um, I think more people have been streaming more mm-hmm. because of lockdown, because more people have been at home or they've been not working at their jobs and they've had more time. And it's a form of communication. And it's a form of communication, and that's my point. I just want to be clear that I'm so grateful to everybody that has done streaming during this lockdown Um, It has been so nice to be able to connect and communicate with people. And I feel like I've got to know more people better Mm -hmm. because of this. Mm -hmm. Although this has been a a terrible, horrible situation that everybody has found themselves in, it has been a good thing that has come out of it. Mm. And and there's there's two particular streamers that I would like to talk about a little bit more. Uh, Firstly, Monique from uh, Girls Game Shelf. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she has done some some really excellent streams. She's had some great people on. She's done. She's she's just facilitated them so well. She's it's just her personality has come across, and she's made everything fun and welcoming and nice and conversational. I've been watching some of her streams with you, and I've been enjoying them very yeah, much. Yeah, it's great. And and what she also did was Dave Loser from This Game Is Broken uh, with Ilka is doing a stream. I think every day. <laughs> I think they've been yeah. doing it for the last I don't know five months or something which is incredible an incredible amount of of work and dedication that they've been putting in uh but when they went on holiday or they they took a week off Monique was was doing their slot as well and did a a fantastic series on uh this Sherlock Holmes like graphic novel game Mm -hmm. which I just enjoyed so much they also do songs at the end of the streams don't they Dave and Ilka Dave and Ilka do do songs. They actually yeah. play a song. I, they, I mean, the, the, again, the dedication, right? They dress mm. up. They get in the theme of of every stream that they do. If the if the theme of the game is quite dark, you know, they're they're dressed in like cloaks and whatever. Yeah. Like the dedication that they've put in is is incredible, and the dedication that Monique has put in all of the girls' game shelf. Really, I mean, they're mm. all doing an excellent job, but. Just her in particular, I wanted to mention. Um, the other streamer that I wanted to mention is Bez of Stuff by Bez, uh, because she has done a stream every day again in the morning, which is super because it means that it's UK time in the morning, which mm. means I can catch it and it's not three o'clock in the morning like some some of the American or North American streams are. She has had so many lovely guests on it and, and she's asked, like, who do you want to see? And and responded to, to people saying, like, I'd love to see Phoebe from uh, Ludo Cherry. I would like to hear more about how the development of the, the Ludo Cherry clothes came into to being. Or It's just been so diverse. Uh, mm. She's had publishers and game designers like KC. And some of the streams are just her talking about 
her own games or whatever. It's just been such a lovely thing to have every morning when I've managed to catch it. Pretty much every morning I wake up because you wake up earlier than I do. I come downstairs and you're watching her streams. And it, right. it's, be- it's become like a daily routine. And that everyone that's been doing streams, that bit of connection in, in this environment where it's quite hard to connect with people or you have to make that extra bit of effort to, to get a time where you can all sit down and play a game together or whatever mm. is is so nice to have that it's very laid back mm. and I think that's what I've really really enjoyed that you can join in the chat but you don't have to if you're not confident to you can say a little bit or you don't have to you can you can say or could we could we see this this person could we see more from publishers or more from distributors or or whatever Mm. and they've just been so open to suggestions and so positive and so nice everyone that's been streaming has just made such a positive impact on me during this time and I just wanted to mention that and say thank you to everybody that's such a nice and lovely message (laughs) uh if you would like to find out uh where you can see these streams uh, if you go to nopunincluded.com slash podcast and find this episode mm-hmm. in the description, there'll be links to each of them. Elaine, I'm so sorry. You're going to have to remind me what the name of this segment is. One more time. It is called the Puzzle Deduction One and Done Escape Room Segment. Because <laughs> it was used to be called the Escape Room of the Month or of the Week or of the whatever, Episode yeah. or whatever. But we realized that we want to play Sherlock Holmes Consultant Detective as well. (laughs) And it's not quite technically an escape room, but there is something conjoining. And we try to figure out what that conjoining Mm -hmm. bit is. And that's the title. Right, Puzzles and Deduction. Right. One and done. One and done. We played this time the Baker Street Irregulars. Which is the new set for the Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective game. Yes, it's, it's one that's not been redone. It's a brand new set of puzzles. Uh, There's 10 puzzles. And they're mostly just Sherlock Holmes consulting detective. Mm. But you're playing as the Baker Street Irregulars, which I think you kind of always you, you do always, anyway, you right? Will, you always do anyway, So yeah. I'm, I'm not sure why it's called that specifically. But, but they needed a name. Sure. Um, I think the first five are separate puzzles and then the, the next five are all linked into the same story. I think the first, yeah, it's either five or the first four separate puzzles. Uh, but you don't, it's not like a campaign like they just inform sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one another. So in, uh, things you might have solved in the previous one might refer or found in the previous one might refer to the next one. But the first four or five you can play just as individual standalone adventures. That's not the cool bit. For me, the cool bit is, first of all, the two cool bits, right? First of all, the writing has increased in quality. Mm, and, oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, that's really nice to see. And we'll touch on that a little bit later. Uh, and the second bit, there's now a sort of memory system. So mm. if you're familiar with Tainted Grail, it's kind of like that system, just much cleaner, simpler and better. <laughs> it just works, right? So uh, whenever you do a thing in the narrative, and that narrative might bear consequence on something else that you do later in that narrative, it'll just ask you to take a letter on a sheet. So there's a sheet that says yeah. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, A, and so on, so on, right? And it says, uh, you've done this, you've discovered a thing, tick C. And then later on, somewhere... It will say, have you ticked C? And, and you you'll say, be like, yes, yes, you're like, I have. No, well, you get nothing. Yeah. Or you get something else. Or you get right? something else, yeah. Yeah. That's neat. And because uh, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective is so non-linear, you mm. might take a letter, you might not take a letter. The fact that you tick the, le- the letter might never come into play. Or you might not encounter 
all mm. the elements. But that's fine. That's Sherlock Holmes consulting detective. I feel right? like in this in this particular the one that we played, which was the first one, mm-hmm. that they'd kind of realized what you might try and do more than yes. the other sets that we've played. And rather than so uh, when you want to go and speak to someone mm. or go somewhere, mm. you have a book and it has postcodes yes. with numbers and you look up the the particular postcode with the number and you read the section. And quite often in the previous games, we found like, oh, it just doesn't exist. Whereas mm. in this one, we found a lot more that the section existed, but we got nothing from it. Like the person wasn't in or whatever. They knew yeah. that we would try and do that. Yeah. And I thought that was quite cool. Everything felt like it was just updated. There was mm. humor in the writing. There was humor previously in the writing. Like I enjoyed the... From one of the boxes, and I yeah. think it was the red box okay. that had the Jack the Ripper cases. Sure. There was a separate, not Jack the Ripper related adventure that had um, these, uh, let's say, historical characters in it, mm-hmm. right? That I, I, I thought the way they were portrayed had a lot of whimsy. You were quite a big fan of these historical characters, uh, so you didn't agree with me. Okay, uh, <laughs> okay. yeah, all right. Um, and but I was like, oh, cool, they're here, right? Yeah. And it, it didn't. It wasn't a historical character that is often used. So I was like, oh, okay. You know, this is quite nice that they're here. Uh-huh. It's a nice homage. Here, there. so there was some humor. But here, humor was abundant and it was inferred. So it wasn't like, isn't this thing funny? It it's was more witty. Like, yeah, it was witty. The yeah. writing informed the humor, right? And uh, I, I enjoyed that very much. Having said that, I have one bugbear yeah. with with the writing in that adventure, and is that at one point it tackles a very serious subject. Yes, and I don't think it has any idea how to tackle it, or no, what it says you, about it isn't particularly it, good. It kind of just skirts over it and goes, "Well, this was a thing," and then let's move on. Well, to no, it else. doesn't skirt over it because because it is part of the mystery. Well, no, but that's the thing. But the writing, yeah. I I felt it doesn't go into it. It's just like you're having a conversation, and well, it never would go into it because it doesn't have that sort of scope in the game sure. to go into it. But the message that you are left with after it not going into it. Mm is a very narrow-minded, almost kind of like Victorian view of the issue. And I'm deliberately avoiding saying what the issue is because it's story spoilers. What I meant was that they could have, in the writing, shown an opinion. Well, the thing is, I I argue that there is an opinion. By not showing an opinion, (laughs) there is an opinion. And I want to very quickly preface this with... This isn't a very current issue. Sure. This isn't something that's plaguing modern society. Well, well, it it is, but not in the in. It's not currently in the social zeitgeist. Sure. So okay. it's not something that's necessarily going to affect you, but it might be something that's affecting you. It probably isn't going to be something triggering. Is that what you're yeah, saying? That's yeah, that's what but... I'm saying. But it might be. It's it's just not handled with grace. Necessary forethought. Just a, a one quick last thing about the the writing in it because I mean it is all writing so yeah. it does make a difference how well it's written. A point you made about comedy in mm. it, right? And I was listening to a podcast, n- not a game related podcast. It was a comedy mm. related podcast, and they said in it that situational comedy in England or in Britain, particularly situational comedy shows, are all done on the dynamic, on the relationships between the characters, the mm-hmm. cast. They're not looking for a laugh a minute. It, 
when you read the script, it shouldn't be laugh out loud funny. But in the situation that it's in, when the actors are acting it, it comes across as funny. And I think that is quite a good reflection of how the writing is. You're so on the money with this. Because uh, what I found is that, yeah, the comedy wasn't just text. It's not like... Oh, haha, this was a funny, you know, Gag. piece, it, it, piece of text. It's not gags, yeah. that's the point, Sometimes right? the comedy was inferred from the deduction that you yes. are making. And that was powerful. That yeah. was really, really cool. And I was well impressed with Sherlock Holmes consulting detective Baker Street Irregulars. Yes. And aside from that one gripe about <laughs> yeah. not-so-sensitive handling of certain issues, I would say it's a very high recommendation for me because it felt like they took a system that has existed for yachts mm. And has been unmutable and unchanged. And when actually we are going to change it, but not in a way that makes it worse (laughs) or more bloated or more complicated. Still the same game. It's recognizably Sherlock Holmes consulting detective. It's just leaner, meaner, cleaner. Incidentally, who do you think about when you think about Sherlock Holmes? When we're in, when we're playing that game, who do you have in your head as Sherlock Holmes? Oh, you're going to... (laughs) <laughs> Basil Rathbone is it yeah is it Rathbone? because his look is so iconic to the Sherlock Holmes look right yeah I guess yeah and, I, I, and... I don't even like Basil Rathbone <laughs> what? that much yeah, why I, well it's, I mean, it's not part of my culture right you grew up as an English person in England and, you know Basil Rathbone is I mean sucks to be me right? right you're Sherlock Holmes I imagine there's a lot of very young people to whom Sherlock Holmes might be Benedict Cumberbatch yeah sadly and and also maybe um Ronald Howard he was a good Sherlock Holmes no, that I'm, was an interesting I meant series. Iron Man what's his face oh Robert Downey, Downey Jr. Jr. yeah yeah, maybe. Or maybe. Oh, is it? oh, oh, Johnny Miller as well. Johnny Lee Miller. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That was that was uh, elementary. Yeah. Is it like a Doctor Who thing where everyone? Yeah. Every generation has their own. I think uh, so. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I think so. But I mean, I, I don't think like Basil Rathbone is of my generation mm-hmm. particularly i think it was just what shows were no but like he still was on the broadcast. telly right and yeah. he was the iconic sherlock holmes in england right well no we had I'd... a soviet sherlock holmes probably did you? i don't know i imagine we did right <laughs> i mean i would watch that yeah. i would so watch that i think jeremy brett is the most but jeremy brett widely... is awful why because he's not very good you know, there's going to be a lot of people that immediately unsubscribe from us. For really? This. Yes. Okay. And well-deservedly. Okay. <laughs> for saying All right. that. I prefer Basil Rappel. On, on well, this. there you go. There right. you go. I totally forgot to mention that uh, Sherlock Holmes consulting detective Baker Street Irregulars was provided yes. as a review copy by Asmodee UK. Do you know one last fact, by the way? Uh, the adventure of Unlocked that we covered in our previous yeah. episode which was Sherlock Holmes themed. And uh, this entire set of Sherlock Holmes new adventures was designed by the same person. The writing felt very uh, Sherlock-ian. I know that's not a word, but it felt very much Sherlock Holmes. It felt um, Arthur Conan Doyle-y. And I think that it comes across that they must be a fan or or more, I don't know. Authoritative on the subject. Authoritative, Yeah. yeah, definitely. And I think that added a lot. I think so. It, it definitely made it feel very much like the previous adventures, just just cleaner, just nicer, mm. just more enjoyable mm. and more up to date. And that that's a win. So if you're looking for, if you never played Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, but heard all these things about it and looking to buy a copy, this so far is, as far as I can tell, is a set to get. We didn't encounter 
any misleading information or, you know, dead ends right. that were not deliberate. Yes. Right? There didn't seem to be any bugs, which was something that was plaguing <laughs> yes. the previous set. Uh, but maybe they're there. We just haven't found them because we haven't played a lot of the set. But so far, pretty, pretty good start. And I'm looking forward to playing more of it. It's time for the feature review. Are you excited about the feature review? I was going to say Targi. Oh, I see. Oh, Targi. Well done, Elaine. Thank you very much. Uh, not just Targi. Targi and the expansion. Ooh. Both Targi and the expansion have been sent to us by the publisher what, Cosmos. What is the interesting name of the expansion for Targi, Efka? Targi, the expansion. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So. So inviting. Targi is a game about the Tuareg people yes. from an African desert, and mm -hmm. they are people known for wearing... Blue. Blue, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's as much as I know about them, and partly that's because the game isn't really about them. No, uh, I imagine that they deal in, like, pepper and salt and... Uh, which is the resources dates. in the game. Yeah, yeah. that's what I've learned yeah. about them. I, I, I like to sometimes use a game to give me some more historical context about things that I don't know. Yeah. Targi was not... A game that taught me any of those things. No. Having said that now, Targi is a fantastic and excellent game. And if you've never played Targi before, you should get yourself a copy and enjoy a cutthroat, ruthless and swear-inducing two-player duo. Game of noughts and crosses. So some, some background history of why we got Targi and Targi the Expansion. Uh, when we were at Essen Spiel, do you remember conventions, Elaine? Uh... Yeah, when we were at Essenspiel the last time, uh, we decided to pop over to the Board Game Geek booth. And uh, Aldi, who's the man in charge of Board Game Geek, uh, when he saw us, he kindly uh, did a tour of the Board Game Geek store. And as part of that tour, we were showered with various goodies, to which we are eternally grateful for. And yeah. uh, because uh, one of the geeks, uh, one of the geeks, one, one of the, the things <laughs> that Board Game Geek does is they do these Geek Up bit sets, which are delightfully wonderful. Oh, they're amazing, yeah. Upgraded components for existing games. They are yeah. not cheap. No. They are absolutely not cheap, uh, but th the tactile feel of the chunky acrylic tokens with screen-printed images that yeah. are identical to the board games that they are meant for are, are just wonderful. And, and the thing is, if you really like a game, then yes. it, I think it's worth getting them because a lot of games uh, the majority of games have mm. cardboard tokens in them Targi has cardboard tokens yes. uh, right and if you played this game a lot then those cardboard tokens would start peeling apart not because the yeah. production of this game is bad the production is good it's just cardboard but it's cardboard right yeah. it's, it's a thing whereas these tokens are going to last such a long time it so does it does give game the game longevity and if it's yeah. something you play constantly and something like Targi um I can absolutely see being a game you played over and over mm. and over again because it has that level of depth and mm. that level of um, just to and fro that is mm. so appealing as, uh, I don't want to say a couple's game because I don't want to sort of box it but and restrict it. a couple of it. people. Yeah, but a couple of people, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. yeah, if you have a constant gaming partner, I think it's just one of those games that you can delve into for years and years and continuously find enjoyment, yeah. especially if you like returning to the same game. 
when we went to the board game geek booth and we're uh, given these components, he said, "Oh, you know, do you have Targi?" And I said, "No." And he said, "Have you played Targi?" I said, "No." And he's like, "What? Oh, what? You? You? Ha- <laughs> okay." So he basically gave me a set of these upgraded components as a catalyst to ignite my interest and acquire a copy mm-hmm. of Targi and play mm-hmm. it. Uh, or and it, did it work? It, it did work because I'm like, I have the set. I, I better try this game now. So uh, fortunately, recently, Cosmos Games have reached out and said, we have an expansion for Targi. Do you want to try Targi in the expansion? I was like, this is perfect. Little did I know. Well, I did know because Aldi told us. But this game is amazing. So let's talk about what Targi is and how it plays. First of all, I want you listeners at home to open your mind's eye and close your actual eyes but I'm what just, if they're driving? What if they're listening to this podcast while they're driving? Don't do that. <laughs> do not close your or eyes. Operating heavy machinery. Do, also, don't do that. If if closing your eyes would cause you danger, if you're sitting down comfortably on your sofa, you can close your eyes. Maybe if you're not holding soup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. because accidents could happen there. Um, that's a party game, not eating soup with your eyes closed. That's not a party game. That's a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> Um, again, not close your eyes, but you know, close your eyes if you can and imagine a five by five grid of cards Mm -hmm. laid out in the center of the table, right? So you have a five by five grid and there's cards on the outside and there's a three by three grid, therefore, of cards on the inside, Mm -hmm. right? So these cards on the outside are the action spaces where you will place three of your workers, Right? Each action space you place your worker on blocks it for your opponent, and you place workers one at a time. So I place one, you place one, I place one, you place one, I place one, you place one. Yes. And if you placed your workers well, you will have, let's say for example's sake, two... Two conjoining points. Yes. Uh, Because uh, if you place two, let's say, on the vertical column part, of the grid and one on the horizontal that one on the horizontal horizontal grid and you draw lines imaginary lines from where they extend through the cards uh that horizontal line will cut through the two vertical lines and those two cards where it cuts into will be the two conjoining points and the two bonus actions you get to take and that is the core of target's puzzle because Anywhere you put on your worker, you're not just blocking that action on the space that you put it on, but you're also blocking everything in that row mm-hmm. or column, depending on whether you place yours mm-hmm. on the horizontal, on the vertical parts of the grid. Oh, did I do yes. a good job of explaining I think so. this? But on I've the played podcast? the game, so okay. I, yeah. I, the thing that I had in my mind's eye was when we played the game. Yeah. So and I didn't close my eyes, even though I'm in a safe environment, just because. I'm like that. You're driving a podcast, Elaine. You should That's not true. close your eyes. <laughs> Bad things could happen. <laughs> For those listening at home, Elaine just did a little hand motion as if she's driving a silly car. Or milking a cow. Or milking a Poorly. cow. Either. Either. But to simplify this process of imagination, if you look at the header image of this podcast, you will also see this one by five grid with workers sure. and tokens laid out. So that's that's also going to give you a good idea, uh, making this entire ramble maybe slightly superfluous. But no, I enjoyed it. Good. Okay, I'm glad you did. Uh, so what's happening is very simple. You're collecting resources. There's three resources in the game. There's dates. There's pepper, 
and the salt, and potentially you're collecting coins as well. Mm. But coins uh, is a resource that's not called a good because there's a rules distinction between them. Mm. And uh, coins are much harder to get, but they are, they are much more useful than regular resources, right? And you're trying to spend those resources to convert them into points. And yes. that so far sounds like a pretty simple game of any Euro game, right? Mm -hmm. But what makes this slightly different is that you're spending those resources on cards that are in the center of this grid. And mm -hmm. they are called tribes cards. Uh, and these tribes cards have a dizzying array of <laughs> various abilities. Uh, and when you acquire them, you put them into another grid that you're creating yourself, which yes. is a three by four grid of tribes cards. And here you have all kinds of set collection rules. Like mm. if you have all cards of the same suit in the same column at the end of the game, you'll score four in points. In the same row. In the same row, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and if you have uh, cards in the same row that are all different, you'll score two points. Mm -hmm. And you have cards that are two of the same and two different, you won't score any points. But one of the... The Targi cards, the ability on it might say you score for that column. Yes. For similar cards in that column or whatever. Exactly. So they, I, they all have different abilities. A lot of them have different abilities on them. I think you're referring to an expansion tribes card. but Well, okay. Yeah. But, but, but as an example of the different things that the cards have on them, they do different abilities. So they will give you extra bonuses at the end or possibly during the game. Yeah, and some of them will relate to points. The problem, of course, is that what you have with the system where you have three workers each and you're placing yours one at a time on this five by five grid where you can't really place in the corners. Mm -hmm. You're never allowed to place in the corners. You're only allowed to place in the bits which would actually create an intersection. Is that each piece you place drastically reduces the amount of spaces that the other player yeah. could actually place their piece on. Because you can't place your piece directly opposite your opponent's piece. Mm -hmm. There's also a rubber that eliminates mm -hmm. one of the spaces of being placed on. Mm -hmm. And you can't even place it opposite your own. I mean, you could, except it doesn't do anything. Yeah. Because you're creating the same line. Uh, well, it does do something, because you still get the thing that you placed your piece on. It's just it's just not as good. It's less effective. Yeah, it's less it's effective. It's less efficient. Mm. Because because it's so important to get those goods or get those different bonus actions and, and the rewards in the grid. Yeah. So to give you an idea of what actually playing Targi feels like, it's like flying through the eye of the needle, where the eye is constantly shrinking and there's a person next to you just nudging you like, hey, 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 do you want to go? Do you want to go to the side? Do you want to? Let's go. Let's go there. And you're like, shut up. Leave me alone. I I had to look away several times. Like when you were going, when, when you were thinking about where you wanted to place your Targi, mm -hmm. I had to look away. So I didn't like influence where you were going or I didn't go out of my mind thinking no don't go there please like I didn't I yeah. needed a poker face mm. and the only way I could do that was by not looking at what you were doing it's incredible how angry this game can make you feel <laughs> but here's where Targi comes away feeling much better as this sort of really aggressive type of game where you are uh, just drastically restricting your opponent's options but of course, the real metagame begins when you play Target a couple of times and then you start realizing all of the tricks of the system. Mm. And you're like, well, okay, if I place 
my pace here, then maybe I'm not exactly getting the thing that I want, mm. but I can influence my opponent's moves. Yeah. Because by now, I know how they're thinking yes. and how they're playing. And so Target does what a lot of great head-on games do, where they try to get you to analyze not just a good strategy, but your opponent's psychology. Mm. And play on that. Uh, and your, the tableau that you're both building is open information. Mm -hmm. So you have an idea of what your opponent is going for. You can see if they have three of the same suit already in a line. And you can see that there's one of the same suit on the board. You know that they're probably going for that at some point. So, yeah. so there is that kind of watching what your opponent is doing at all times. And this is the brilliant part as well. Because you might feel like you're being incredibly restricted by this. Uh, because, okay, if I know Elaine wants the camel card, there's suits on cards and one of them camels, uh, and there's only one camel card on the board, I know Elaine wants to go for mm. it. So even if I don't want to get that card, I can place my target in a way where it just blocks off that, that row or that row, column, yeah. mm. and, and that's that, right? But and you did. At multiple times. Multiple times. And I feel some saltiness coming from the other side of the table <laughs> right now. But what I like about this game a lot is that it is so rich in rewarding you that you never, like, no matter how bad you feel about not getting the exact thing that I wanted, I always get so many other options that are interesting. Or alternatively, it lets me devise strategies where through rule bylaws, I can still somehow finagle that thing that I want. Mm. Namely, the Fata Morgana space, mm. which lets you move your pip onto any space that hasn't been occupied by other pips in the central free by free grid. Hmm. And then when you realize that you can do that and the opponent realizes that you can do that, the game becomes not just about like, oh, okay, I will go on the Fata Morgana space and I can still get the thing that I want. And then your opponent realizes that that's what you're doing and purposefully blocks off the space that they know you want by engineering their target in a way that they will put their pip on the thing that you want and then the problem is wait a minute i i now have my pip on the thing that they want but i uh -huh. don't want the thing uh -huh. what do i do with it <laughs> uh <-huh. right? laughs> and i just found it endlessly delightful and endlessly enjoyable and endlessly amusing mm. right the the laugh out loud moments that target has created it's probably uh, me swearing at you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mostly. It's mostly swearing at you. <laughs> Calling but, you all parts of the bottom. But it's also... <laughs> I didn't know there were that many parts of the bottom. I mean, I I've can learned think of, about I can human think of anatomy. three off the top of my head. Yeah. But w what I really enjoyed was, uh, you know, the, the realisation where that's coming from and that we've sort of engineered that situation through, you know, that sort of like, if you do this and I do that and you do this and I do that and there's this moment of surprise, something you haven't anticipated and your opponent does it and you're like oh. oh and i think why i enjoyed this more than other games that do that is because target makes it so much so much more obvious than other games and so much more evident it's just there mm. everything's there and nothing is very complicated it's mm. just you know target is a game that takes about half an hour maybe 45 minutes and after playing about three games 
I've learned everything about Targi that I ever needed to know. And I'm sure that if I played it more and more in years and years, there's finer subtleties and tricks I would probably notice. But it's not the sort of finery that I'm really excited about. Mm. It's just I'm I'm glad that I know that if I keep playing it, it's there in the future, right? Mm. Yeah, what I like about it as well is that you're always weighing up the bonus that you will get from placing your Targi between that and what you're going to get from that column, the, mm-hmm. the reward you're going to get from whatever is in that column and then where you're going to place your next Targi to make them join up. And I like that puzzle a lot. And the, the reason that I called it Noughts and Crosses, which, you know, is, is, is very tongue-in-cheek, it's not Noughts and Crosses, but is because there's always that that moment where your opponent goes, I can't stop you getting the thing that you want because there are two places that you can get the thing from and I can block one of those off, but I can't block the other one off. Mm. And I, I really like that. Even when, when you were doing that to me, yeah. I still really enjoyed that moment, that, that kind of cleverness of, ah, I see why you placed it there. Mm, because you're not, like, the thing that I'm getting is not necessarily of any use to me. Right. But- but yeah, you're always weighing out things. There's there's never an obvious move in Targi. There, 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 well, there is an obvious move, but it's not, not necessarily always the right move. Mm. And I guess that creates for a game that can feel a little bit slow. And I'm thankful that it's a game that is only played with two players. Yeah. Sure, it does make it a lot more antagonistic, but I think it's a feature, <laughs> not a bug, you know. <laughs> but also, you only have to wait for one person to think. And whilst they're thinking, you're thinking. And whilst they're thinking, you're analysing what they're thinking about. Or you're looking away because you can't bear to to watch. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because there is is that one move they can always Uh make uh that they might not even be thinking about. Uh But if they accidentally make it... I mean, the amount of times that you were like, oh, okay, I'm going to go to this space. Like, you were thinking out loud quite a bit. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go to this space. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool, because that means I can go there, and now I can do this, and I can do this. And then you were like, oh, wait, no, I'm going to go there. And then, like, it, it tumbled down my whole plan. I, yeah, I'm also glad the game is is not that long, because I can imagine mm. that if the game was a four-hour game, that would be quite intense and exhausting mm-hmm. <laughs> right but it's it's only like yeah 45 minutes i think i think it took us so this isn't a particularly long discussion about targi because i think surprisingly in this short span of time we said everything about targi that you need to know sure there's other things like there's a robber that counts as a as as a timer and there's raid spaces that mm-hmm. make you spend either resources or points and you often want to spend resources because points are better than resources and there's some spaces that don't feel quite as solid and strong as others and maybe a little bit iffy but we are going to talk about some of these in our discussion of targi the expansion which is the expansion to targi I really enjoyed the expansion and and actually if we played it again I would prefer to play it with the expansion because I think it just adds a little bit extra it adds another resource it adds water yes uh, which works the same as the other resources the salt the pepper and the date doesn't count as one but it doesn't count as one and it also does something else you can trade it in for other resources or you can trade it in for or you can trade it in for other resources or gold but for cheaper if you spend uh, an action to go to a place that lets you do that and water is nice but the real feature of the target the expansion deck so there's a bunch of new features Mm. so for first of all some of the action spaces are replaced there's an entirely new tribes deck so you don't play with the tribes cards uh, which are the scoring set collection cards uh, from the base game there's a whole new deck Mm -hmm. and there's some 
tips in the rulebook if you want to combine the two and mm-hmm. bring in some of the mm-hmm. old ones, mm-hmm. mix them in with the new ones. And those are fine. There's also dune cards, which are cards entirely off of the grid. Yes. And they are normally much better actions. But because they're off of the grid, by just placing one worker, you're immediately sacrificing an intersection. Yeah. Right? Which means you've lost two actions. Because Effectively. Well, one, because you're getting an action from the dune. Yes. Right? So they are better, but not only are you losing an, inter- an action, right? Yeah. You're also losing an opportunity to block your opponent from yeah. getting the things that they want, which could arguably be even more important. Yeah, and thirdly, you are reducing the amount of actions, action spaces that you can go on because you need to have that intersection. So you need to do a vertical and a horizontal, Yeah, right? So... If, re- if you just do two verticals... Right, it does nothing because there's no intersection. Yeah. So it reduces the amount of spaces that you have the option to go into. Exactly. Uh, so the Dune cards can be quite punishing, but some mm. of them are really good. And crucially, situational. And that's what's yeah. really important about them because they're not always good. Some of them are, and those are sort of the more boring, obvious ones. Like get a resource, a coin. And, and, a, and a victory point or whatever. whatever it's yeah. like, well, that's easily worth two actions. I'll go there, yeah. right? Um, but but some of them are less obvious. And, and those are the really interesting ones because that's where the interesting decisions lie. Do I sacrifice this for mm. that? Uh, that, to me, was very, very appealing and interesting that to me is nice and Uh the water is nice but the real star (laughs) was the new tribes deck and the new border cards that replaced the old border cards nerfing the fata morgana nerfing the fata morgana (laughs) but making it a lot more interesting yeah definitely fata morgana as i mentioned before let you take off a pip and uh place it anywhere else on a free space on the three by three grid inside the five by five grid the new Mephata Morgana lets you do that, but only to cards adjacent to the existing yeah. pip. And suddenly that creates a whole new metagame, right? Because, sure, now you can still sort of get any card you want, but there's a whole little fiddly game going inside your brain. Well, now if I go here, then Elaine will know that I want this thing, and then she can place her piece to block this mm-hmm. off. But actually, if I create the illusion that I'm doing that, <laughs> there's a whole Dune card that will let me activate a weird effect that she might have not noticed. And that, that happened. That happened, it? yeah, yeah. And I think what's cool about the expansion is that it creates situations that will be appreciated by people who've played Targi the base game a bunch. Yeah. Right? If you've never played Targi mm. and you're excited by what we said, do not rush out and buy no. the Targi expansion. No. Uh, I think I there's there's enough. Oh, that, definitely. There's, yeah. yeah, there's definitely enough in the in the base game to to play it over and over again. Yeah, but once you're a little bored of Targi, I think Targi the expansion will add that layer of whoa. There's a whole new element of depth, yeah. and I think Targi the expansion is better a better Targi game, but mostly because of the new tribes cards. Yes. So. A they're lot, a lot clearer. They're a lot clearer. Mm. They work a lot better. Mm. And they're a lot more interesting. Mm. Uh, previous target cards were like, well, you'll score extra points if you have this. And that's the sort of said collection thing that I don't find particularly sure. interesting. So the new target tribes cards are arguably less effective, right? Because there's less ways to score points. But now you have to create different situations and engineer different situations and utilize them. 
to a better effect, right? So again, it's a game of finding situational pieces and hoping that they work, mm. right? Uh, and what the new tribes deck did was sort of a similar thing as, as the new border cards do, where they're not quite as powerful, but they create more interesting, memorable game moments. But also, they ask you to not over-rely on the tried-and-true strategies. Mm. Like, oh, you know, I'll just get this, and this is sort of a no-brainer, and it just sort of works. And now you're more like, huh, this is a, a little bit more complex, but I really need to think about how I can engineer this and put this together. And it's, it's less obvious, and it's sort of nice in that way. Yeah, there's also the target meeple, the, the opposite to the robber, yeah. that moves the opposite direction of the robber and gives you something. You can go on that space. Yes. And the target gives you an extra good if, if you, you go, go to there. that space. Yeah. So there's that extra little layer of puzzle of... Do I want this action enough or do mm. I need this do I need an extra good mm. enough to go on this space that isn't that great for me but mm. it will give me the good that I need to play a card or whatever. Yeah. Uh why shouldn't you get Targi? Well there's a couple of reasons I can think of. So first of all, if you don't like aggressive games, stay away from this. <laughs> it's just not for you. Yeah. This is a game that will make you angry and and maybe even test your relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess is a testament to our relationship. Oh, isn't that nice? Is it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Thanks, Elaine. Uh, let's move on from that. The other reason I wouldn't necessarily jump at recommending Targi is if you hate game states uh, that are very ambiguous and mm. uh, because of the way the rules are written, then maybe also stay away from Targi because there's a lot of ambiguity in, in how rules work and there's an FAQ online. And I think it's one of those uh, traditional German designs where the wording in the rule set is very specific. Mm. And basically, if you sort of follow it exactly to the letter you'll arrive somewhere very close <laughs> to what the actual rules are uh but but you need to twist your brain a little bit to do uh -huh. that I, I i don't like that in games that frequently bothers me and i i want more explanations and more yeah. specificity thankfully uh, i've noticed the designer on bgg does answer questions so if, you, if you're stuck and you're wondering there's one of the wonderful resources uh, of of the board gaming world bgg if you have time it has the answers my one wish was that the cards in the game uh that are the border cards mm -hmm. weren't cards the central cards i understand why the cards because uh -huh. they need to be in a deck mm -hmm. right uh, you want them to be little cardboard. I want them to be a grid. Tokens. Yeah, yeah. I want them to be a a, a, a cardboard grid, uh, and I think that would be nicer. I think it would mm. create a more pleasant, sort of less flimsy atmosphere on the table. I wouldn't move as much. <laughs> and wouldn't move as much. But that's mostly just an aesthetic complaint, you know? Yeah. And it would also, uh, visually, it would help with playing the game because it would help separate the grid inside the grid. Yeah. Because there are, you know, it's a five by five grid, but there's a grid inside of it that's a three by three grid, right? And adding a visual distinction to that wouldn't be a bad thing. That's not to say it's confusing though, because let's let's make it clear, it's it's, it's not. not. There is artwork on all the border cards that tell you this is a border, border card, card, yeah. And there's not the same artwork in yeah. in the middle grid, so you, yeah, I don't, I didn't find that confusing. No, it's not confusing. I think it's just an aesthetics thing. Sure. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's it. That's target. If if you're looking for that two-player competitive game that you can keep going head-to-head -head on, it will provide you with, I imagine, hundreds of hours of entertainment. Wow, hundreds. That's a big I, I, promise. I can stake that if you get Targi and then eventually Targi the expansion, you know, there's that potential that you, this might be a game 
you always play. And that's the end of the podcast. Elaine, if people wanted to go and leave us a comment and say something about the games that we've discussed or or the grumps that we had, or the ungrumps that we had, where could they go and do that? They can go to nopanincluded.com forward slash podcast. And what else can they find there? Lots of other podcasts that we've done in the past. Wow. If I wanted to listen more to this podcast, that is definitely where I would go. Thank you for all that wonderful information. And with that, why don't you say goodbye, Elaine. Goodbye, Elaine. Goodbye, Elaine.